Hi, it's Bob from Royal Spa. Soaking in a hot tub full of Epsom salts is the absolute best way to minimize everyday aches and pains. And we know all about Epsom salts at Royal Spa. Royal Spa hot tubs are the only hot tubs on the market that can safely and effectively use Epsom salts. Made right here in Indiana, Royal Spa hot tubs are the highest quality hot tubs on the market. Visit any one of our three Indianapolis locations or visit royalspa.com. Ah, Royal Spa. So, Mark Dykin, let me get this straight. Yes. I come in this morning, we're getting situated, and you said, man, I, I, about four minutes to go in the IU game, you went ahead and turned in, went to bed, and then you didn't sleep well throughout the course of the night, right? True, yes. So basically, your evening was kind of like Indiana and kind of not. In other words, you you packed it in a little early. And Indiana didn't pack it in until, like, after the start of the game. But we didn't see the start of the game because ESPN had on the Tennessee game, which took five hours and 20 minutes. That seems to be a running thing with IU. Like, games just don't start on time when they're on ESPN. Well, the the game did, the television Right, the the broadcast itself. Um, And then you were inconsistent in terms of your sleep, which also kind of, that part does jive with IU, right? I got to the second half, and I was like, I I think I'm going to sit this one out. Well, that's that's pretty much... um, that was a frustrating game if you're an Indiana fan last night in East Lansing, which is one of the things we'll talk about this morning. But good morning to you. It is a today's Wednesday, right, Mark? It is a Wednesday. It's hump day. Hump day Wednesday. Sam Fritz sitting in on the big board. Mark Dykton has slid over because Kevin is down in Florida, now officially starting his vacation. So the two of us will bring you home here for the rest of the week. And I assume IU basketball will be one of the things that we talk about over the course of the show this morning. Some Colts news to get to as well. Stephen Holder joins us at 8 o'clock. This morning, and then Terry Morin, who is—that's the best story right now, probably in college basketball in general. But the Indiana women's team—I mean, selling out Assembly Hall, number two in the country. Probably we haven't, even though we've talked plenty about it, haven't even given them the love that uh, they deserve. But Terry Morin, their head coach, is going to join us at nine o'clock. Named outright Big Ten champs last night too. Yeah, that's good for them. First time in 40 years. Uh, yesterday was Fat Tuesday. Did you do anything to celebrate? No, no. I need to start looking to where to get some punchkeys, though, around here. So. Punchkeys? Yeah. It's sure. like a Polish, like, yeah. You know what punchkeys are. Don't, don't. Which one's the one that the, the little baby comes in? What? That's, that's cake, right? What like do you a, mean, what? A cake baby? Oh, are you talking for? Yeah, I think that's. For Mardi Gras, you get the you get the cake. I don't think I've ever gotten a cake that had a baby in it. No. you. Can but I know what you mean. Sam, do you know what I'm talking about? I'm familiar with the baby cakes, yes. Yeah. It, it, you get the, the cake. Mm-hmm. I can't believe that I've forgotten the name of what kind of cake I'm talking about. I, I, isn't it a baby cake? I don't think it's called that, though. Isn't it like King something King, right? But you get the cake for Mardi Gras, and then there's a small plastic baby that, like, one slice of it's, the cake has it in it. And if you get the slice with the baby, that's, like, the good luck thing. Yeah, because you got to go to the dentist and fix your cracked teeth after that. It's called the king cake, by the way. Yeah, that's what I said, king cake, right? Yeah, there you go. They are pretty good, though. I mean, the picture I'm looking at is just like a little, yeah, plastic baby inside a cake. Yeah, that's exactly what it is. Nothing better than chewing on something hard when you bite into a cake. Well, typically you see it before you actually take the bite. But last night we went to uh, Half Liter. Have you been there? I have not. It was Do tell. Uh, Half Liter was a full liter last night because it was absolutely Where's that at? Uh, 54th and right behind Mama Corolla's, whatever street that is. Um, but they had a band 
Dysfunction Brass. So it's like a 13-piece brass band playing Mardi Gras music the whole time. And they were awesome. They were It was super fun. Everybody was having a good time. And we went and checked that out for a little bit. And then I want to say good morning to Jackson, who were sitting there. And all of a sudden, this guy walks up and goes, hey, man, I'm Jackson. I listen to you guys every morning. And he actually said, Mark and I quote, I like it because you guys, and what do we do on this program? We Mark? educate and entertain. That's exactly what he said. And I said, well, thank you. We try to. But we left there um, early enough to go and watch the Indiana game. And then get home, turn on the TV, <clears throat> right at 9. And I'm like, what is this? It's Tennessee and Texas A&M. And on the bottom right, it says, go to the ESPN app and stream. So, I mean, I could have done that. But but literally, there was like nine minutes left in the game. Yeah, it switched to I, – I, I had it on. I went to my YouTube TV and turned it on. And I was like, okay, this game's wrapping up. And I walked when I was doing the dishes or whatever. And then all of a sudden, I heard the – I kept hearing the game, like, why is the IU game not on? I thought my daughters must turn on Bluey or something. And I was like, 5 nothing IU in the top corner. Like, well, where's this game at? And it's at ESPNU. So I was like, oh, I guess I have to switch to ESPNU. See, I didn't know it was on ESPNU. Yeah, so I switched over to that. And then, like, halfway through the first quarter or first half, all of a sudden it switched to regularly scheduled programming and it went to, like, a documentary. And I'm like, well, what is this? This is a long commercial break. So I switched back to ESPN. And I missed another, like, three minutes of the game. Well, what you missed was... Here, here's the one thing that jumped out to me. And afterwards, after the game, as I was, like, getting ready for bed, I, I was scrolling through social media, and there's the guys that do assembly call, which are just guys that talk about the game. And I thought, I'll see what they're talking about. And, and I thought they were pretty accurate in this. Um, and it was pretty enjoyable to, to watch them. But they were talking about, how Trace Jackson Davis looked completely fatigued. And, and I think that's fair. I mean, they're college guys. I get it. People, like, want to complain about and talk about and mock, you know, load management and that kind of thing. He's logged a ton of minutes. And I know that he is a 22, 23-year-old guy. I get it. But he did look completely fatigued last night. He just looked like, I wouldn't say a full step slow, but like a, a third of a step slow. Well, he played, yeah, 35 minutes last night, so he logged the most on the team. And, you know, you're asking, well, you're asking so much for him to right? do him. Yeah. yeah. Uh, the other storyline was Michigan State was able to hit from three, and Indiana was not. I mean, Jalen hood Shafino is a tremendous talent and probably a one-and-done because he has, again, you draft on potential now, and his body size, his court vision, his speed, all of it indicates he's going to be um, – you know, a first-round pick, and so I would be surprised if he returns to Indiana. Been a great player for him this year at times. When he's on, he's really good. When he's off, he is still effective because of the things he can do, but it hurts them when he doesn't shoot the ball from the outside well. He played okay, but he didn't shoot the ball well from the outside, and that's the difference, Mark. They've got to get complimentary scoring. That's what we keep saying, right? That, and then they were getting killed on the boards for a while in that game, too. And Tyson Walker, just seems like every time he pulled up from three, he was dropping them in. So, yeah, I mean, it, it's going to be curious to see how they, they handle it after this game. I mean, you knew it was going to be a tough game to begin with because of the emotion that was going in with Michigan State. You knew that they had that on their side. And it seemed like once Walker hit that three right before the end of the first half, that all of the momentum swing, swung towards the uh, Spartans and everything, and IU was going to be on the back of their heels the rest of their game, and sure enough, they were that whole second half. Uh, by the way, everybody, literally everybody's like, dude, it's king cake, you moron. I'm just <laughs> looking at, 
Uh, by the way, they have king cake at Taylor's Bakery. That's well, not surprising to me They have all. punch keys, though. I think of king cake more than punch keys. No. I think most people would say king cake above. I don't think I've ever had king cake. Okay, so it's basically coffee cake uh-huh. with purple, yellow, and green sugar drizzled on Yeah, it. for the Marty. I've seen it. I've just never had it. And then one piece of it has a little plastic baby. And if you get that, then it's it's like getting the – did you ever do – The wishbone? Well, that too. But on New Year's, did you ever do the penny and cabbage? What? What are you talking about? How long have you been a communist? I'm sorry, <laughs> a penny in the cabbage? That seems like that's I a hazardous to your health. That sounds like Irish folklore that you brought over on the Nina, the Pinta, the Santa Maria. And I know that wasn't Ireland, but I'm just trying to throw old references well, out there. So there's an actual penny in cabbage? Basically, anything that we do in this country is folklore from somewhere else, right? Oh, that's valid, sure. New Year's, New Year's Eve, or New Year's Day, I mean. I, I cannot be the only family. Maybe my mom made this up. Somebody in chat wrote a dime in the cabbage. Yeah, I mean a coin, I guess. Okay. They clearly come but, from a wealthy family. But you family. have cabbage, that's right. <laughs> they, they give out the full Rich candy bars. Rich people problems. Right? We give out the dimes here. No, the, the on, on New Year's Day, you have a dinner that includes cabbage. Uh-huh. And then one per, there is one coin, a penny in our house. Maybe it is a dime some places. But a coin is placed within the cabbage. And if you are the one that at dinner, as you are cutting your cabbage on the plate, if the coin is in yours, that means that you are destined to have good luck for the year. I mean, that just day. seems like that's unhealthy, though, to be putting dirty well, money in the in food that you're about to digest. Okay. How many times you clean that penny before you put in the cabbage is what I want to know. It's When it's cooked, the heat draws all germs out of... The, the copper or the nickel. Yeah, and puts it right in the cabbage the that silver. it got stuck into. <laughs> no, it gets cooked out of the cabbage also. I don't know Don't about you know that. anything about the... My grandmother used to do the penny in the cabbage. Yes, I'm telling you. I'm not the only one. Our family did the cabbage with a penny. Thank you. See? Boy, I feel like you're unlucky if you got that part of the cabbage. Well, I think if you, if you take a bite and then swallow it, it probably is a bit of a misfortune. My cabbage tastes like the floor. Oh, the penny's in here. That's why. Did you ever see the um, the New Orleans Pelicans when they had the oh yeah the king baby, baby. Yeah, yeah yeah it was terrifying. Now that's what it's from. Yeah, that's the baby that's inside the cake. We need him to be our mascot for the show. I think. <laughs> see what he's doing these days. That Drink, and the rally monkey drinking a PBR. Right. <laughs> that's right. Um, last night I thought it, it, there was a stretch for Indiana where, and again, this is what I think about. When I watch Indiana, and I know that Indiana fans probably hate me for this. I, I Trust me, I hate myself sometimes. Uh, Trey Galloway had a stretch there where he hit threes on back-to-back possessions. And, you, and then he also made a really good defensive play to create transition. And you thought, okay, that that's the kind of player he needs to be. Kind of a Swiss Army knife type guy that can do a lot of different things for Indiana. And then I thought about it, Mark, and I'm like, there is the distinct possibility that he has to be, and very well may be, their focal point next year. Without question. I mean, Indiana's in a situation where Trace Jackson Davis, we know, is gone. Jalen hood Shafino almost certainly is gone. Xavier Johnson's gone. Race Thompson's gone. What are you running out there next year with? M- Malik Renew? Does Miller Cop have one more year of eligibility left? I mean, Miller Cop at the age of thirty. <laughs> I mean, Miller Cop would be gone too, right? Mm-hmm. So, 
Yeah, it's going to be interesting. I, I mean, they're right back. Like, you look right now, and I hate saying this for Indiana fans, and this is not an indictment on the way their coach built anything else, except for that their talent load that could be departing this year. I mean, in other words, and they very well could make a tournament run, but it's going to have to be this year. For sure. Because next year you're back to look at North Carolina. I mean, North Carolina right now is listed as first four out, not even making the tournament. They were in the national title game last year. Um, New Mexico, first four out. They were the last team to lose a game this year, to, lo- or to lose their first game. They were the longest-running undefeated team. Next year could definitely be a transition year for oh, Mike man. Woodson and the team because, yeah, it's a good question. Who's going to be there next year? I mean, you almost got to make your hay this year while you can and then just kind of hope some good fortune falls your way in 2023-2024. Uh, this from Derek. Copper yep. has germicidal properties. Okay. So, see? Put that in your... Put that in my cabbage and eat it is what Put you're saying? Put that in your cabbage and smoke it, buddy. I, you put I, the copper all the pennies I've seen look like they need to be, you know, degreased and whatnot for a while. They've usually got, like, a bunch of stuff on it. It's a penny I don't want. Jake, the Greeks do a coin and bread, which we buy in Tarpon Springs every year when in Florida. If you find a coin in your slice of bread, you have a prosperous new year. See? I feel like all the people that do that must be in dentistry because they're like, yeah, someone crack their teeth and then I'm going to make bank on you. How many pennies can we make this year? Oh, we've Charlie, got, we've got a surplus of coins from last year, so let's just go ahead and put them back into dishes for people. Charlie chipped his tooth. He's got to go see Uncle Phil now at the dentist. But but honestly, though, for Indiana next year, and I know that there's still basketball to be played this year, and Indiana could well make a run. And I do think that Indiana is, at the very least, probably a Sweet 16 team. I mean, they're still in very good position in terms of their seeding. I think when they were a four seed, that was a little aggressive. They seem to me, I think a five seed is pretty realistic, but they were a five seed in 02 when they went to the finals. Yeah. I, mean, I feel like they're going to end up being like a seven or something like that. I've got that kind of, that key kind of sticks out in my head that I is going to get like a seven seed or something. See, I don't think they'd have to, the bottom would have to really fall out. Now, if you look at their remaining schedule, and this is the, this is what I think is going to be the, the challenge. Like Purdue has, and I know Matt Painter wasn't necessarily fond of this, but if you look at Purdue's schedule, you know, Purdue's got their feet kicked back, right? Because they got Indiana on Saturday. Yeah, they had like a whole week off. So Indiana has that game at Michigan State on the road wedged in between the Illinois and then the Purdue games. And for Indiana, there's really no rest because you get ready now to go at Purdue. Then you come back three days after that, you've got Iowa. Actually, at that point, then they get a week off. That week between Iowa and Michigan is going to be critical because Indiana, I think, needs the rest. They just look like, and they have played well, but they look like a team now at 19-9, and 10-7 in the league. But, Mark, they, they look like they need to get some of that fatigue out of them. Trace Jackson Davis, for sure, looks like he needs a couple days of rest. Totally. Seven turnovers last night. It was extra sloppy for him yesterday. That You're not used to seeing him turning over that much. And, I mean, part of that, I, again... I certainly understand the thought of, like, you know, you're, you're 21, 22 years old. It shouldn't be an issue, but still, he's logged a, lot, a ton of minutes, man. Yeah. With Just everything psychologically, it'd be tough, right? Yeah. Everything they've asked of him. Yeah, you're going to get tired legs after a while. Uh, how about last night? Congratulations and kudos to Ball State. 20 and 8 now as chirp, Michael chirp. Lewis's group. And that's a big win over Kent State because now Ball State finds themselves just a game back in the MAC. I mean, that's big. Kent State came in. At twelve and two in the MAC, 
and twenty two and five overall. And Ball State not only do they win, but you know eighty two seventy. I mean, fairly convincingly. Yeah. Good crowd at Worthen Arena. Uh, I'm telling you, Ball State could make the tournament. So you would have Indiana Purdue. What did we put the over under at two and a half for Indiana teams? I think in the that's tournament? what we said. Yeah. And I remember Rake saying that he thought Indiana State or Ball State could get in. Ball State, it'd be cool if Ball State got in. It'd be very cool. What if they got in and had to play Indiana or Purdue? Oh, boy. What if they got in and beat Indiana or Purdue? Oh, boy, again. <laughs> <laughs> That'd be plenty for us to talk about, right? Uh, yeah, for sure. So you seem very uh, upbeat and peppy, even though you said you got no sleep. Did you get no sleep? No, I got sleep, but I think my oldest daughter woke up in the middle of the night at some point and was crying about something. My wife took care of it. She's like, Dad's trying to sleep. I'm like, oh, that's fine. I heard what's going on. Something was going on. I don't know if it's a sickness thing or just... Couldn't sleep or growing pains or something. So now, do you have a designated in your house because you've got three young children? Yes. Right? Mm-hmm. Do you have a designated like where you need to sleep, getaway, silent area? I know it's probably impossible. It's pretty impossible. Uh, okay, like the couch, the garage. I wish. <laughs> when that garage gets done, it will be fit for me to sleep in. Probably really? somewhere I will end up sleeping if I upset my wife someday. Really? Yeah. No way! When you said when it gets done, are you finishing well, your garage? I would like to redo it. It's you know, it's a single, it's a you know, separate garage from the house and everything. But like, yeah, I want to like epoxy the floor, make it a little like man cave kind of situation. Put a TV in there, all that stuff. Maybe put a cot in, just kind of hang are you out. Heat it? Huh? Are you going to heat it? Yeah, it, it could insulate itself. Well, that's very impressive. Yeah, we'll see. You could put your your twelve pack of PBR out there. Yeah. Well, you gave me a six-pack, so where's the other six that you opened? Oh, I'm sorry. I thought I gave you 12. No, you gave me six. Oh, well, sorry. That's okay. <laughs> Your next six is on. I'm sure the next right? bet you lose, you'll give me another six-pack at some um, point. We got some stuff to try, too, by the way. Maine, Matthew from Maine uh, sent us some things in a cure package. It? Yeah. So we've got some things we got to try later. Do you have it here? I have it here. It's in the fridge. He brought food? Uh, yeah, yes. Is it food, food and Food and drink. Okay. Moxie, which I've never had before. And then some chocolates or something. So we'll have to dive in a little bit. There's some on your desk already. Some, some of yours, Kevin's and JMV's. I have a desk here? Yeah. Okay. I was surprised, too. <laughs> where, where <laughs> it's behind exactly, mine, apparently. Where exactly is that? It's behind mine, apparently. I was like, oh, there it is. You're here somewhere. Uh, we got some Colts coaching news to talk about, right? Yep. Yep. Uh, Chris Strausser leaving, uh, leaving the Colts to go to the Houston Texans. So the Colts have a vacancy at the offensive line. Coaching position, so we'll see what uh, Shane Steichen and comes up with with who to fill in with that position. We'll ask Stephen Holder that when he joins us at eight o'clock. Again, IU women's head coach Terry Morin going to join us at nine. But yeah, we'll get some Colts talk in. The Pacers getting done with the All Star break; they're coming back. Obviously, IU Purdue is now the next game on the schedule for both teams on Saturday, so we'll talk a little there. We've got a lot of stuff to spray to, and a couple trade proposals. For the Colts uh, and the first overall pick, it's getting a little steeper, the asking price from these mock drafts I've seen. So I'm going to pick your brain a little bit the, with those. The Colts might have two coaching positions to fill, uh, it would appear. We'll get more into that uh, in just a little bit. I, I'm going to maintain, Mark, and I know it's not – I'm probably getting more – my island is getting more and more remote with this that I'm on. I don't think the Colts need to move up to one. Yeah. I, I think they can. I guess it depends on who moves in front of them. But 
I don't think that they have like there are teams that are slotted that, that fall into the top five in drafts, whether we're talking NBA or NFL, either one. But there are occasionally teams that just a couple of key pieces got injured, and so therefore the bottom fell out, and they end up with the number one overall pick. But you know that they have the pieces around that are not truly a a, a team that would be drafting number one. Example given, the San Antonio Spurs with David Robinson. David Robinson got hurt. So they basically said, well, the year's a wash. They end up with the number one pick. They get Tim Duncan. Now they got, you know, Robinson and Duncan, and they're basically a, di- a mini dynasty. Uh-huh. The the Colts, when the Colts got had Andrew Luck, I mean, Peyton Manning got hurt. You had key injuries, and so then they bring in Andrew Luck. But, you, but if you look back at it now, I think if the Colts could do a do-over there, and I understand why they did it. But they eliminated a lot of key pieces. You know, they got rid of, and I, I totally understand why from a cap standpoint, but they, they they got rid of Dwight Freeney and Dallas Clark and, you know, guys that were at the, Gary Brackett, those guys that were at the end of their deals, Ryan Deem. Freeney might have been a year after that. But, but regardless, what I'm getting at is the Colts are, I think, authentically drafting fourth. It's not like they had key, and and I know Shaquille Leonard was hurt. I get it. But they have a lot of holes. Mm -hmm. They don't have a totality on their roster all the way around to give up key pieces to move up two spots. To me, what you would gain, the best way to say it would be, if you were to score the player that you're going to get at number four, in my opinion, if that player is, let's say, an 85 and at number one, you get a player that's a 94. That nine point that you're making up, to me, you would have to give up more than nine points of roster value to move up those three spots. Therefore, I would not do it. Yeah, the latest draft compensation I saw that they would be giving the Bears for the number one, it's it's pretty steep. So Yeah, I mean, that's – and again, I don't know that they even have to – if they are worried about the, – the, the, the real math trick here is they have to evaluate and we'll get more into this probably over the course of the combine, but they have to evaluate how many true franchise quarterbacks they feel are in this draft, and what and the over under whether it's over under you know four right. Yeah. They also have to feel comfortable that if if their top guy doesn't get picked, like say the Texans take him, that they're comfortable with their second or third pick on that draft board for quarterbacks. Well, that's what I mean. So if where they are right now. It, it it really just depends. Arizona's a real wild card here, right? Yep. Because Arizona, one would think, is not going to take a quarterback because they have Kyler Murray. But if Arizona trades out, then you're in trouble because you're like, wait a minute. If there's only – if the Colts say to themselves, there are four franchise quarterbacks in this draft, then they're okay. It doesn't matter what happens in front of them. If, in the Colts' opinion, there are only two or three franchise quarterbacks, then you've got a little bit of concern here because if Arizona trades out, now you're really left out in the dark. Or you stay where you are and say, we're going to take our chance that Arizona stays and decides that they're going to go with the lineman out of Alabama or the defensive end out of Clemson, and now we are okay because there are still, at maximum, only two quarterbacks that can go in front of us. Arizona is the real wild card in the whole thing, I think. Yeah, I mean, according to Jonathan Gannon, the new head coach, he wouldn't have taken the job if Kyler Murray wasn't going to be the quarterback. Now, that could just be coach talk well, didn't right now. did they say that Kyler Murray was going to be an integral part of their, their coaching search? Right. Yeah. 
So that makes me think that they're going to keep him, especially with the contract they just signed him to. But again, if you're the Colts, you have to you have to start weighing those options. Is it worth giving up maybe a little more than you're comfortable with? It means not only do you leapfrog the Texans and get the guy you want, but then you also hop, hopefully have your franchise quarterback for the next decade plus. The other thing that comes into play is how much do you have to assess or weigh in that one of the teams drafting in front of you for a quarterback, not only do you want to be in front of Houston so that you draft a quarterback, but also so you can decide which one you are prohibiting having to face exactly for 10 years within the division. Uh, we'll talk about that more with Stephen Holder coming up in 36 minutes. And then again, Terry Moore in 9 o'clock as we get underway here on a Wednesday. It is Mark Dykton in for Kevin. I'm Jake Query. We'll get you caught up on what happened overnight next on the morning checkdown. You're listening to Kevin and Query, 93.5, 107.5 The Fan. Big night for Ball State last night. We'll get to that in just a second. We'll begin in East Lansing last night, Indiana and Michigan State. Hoosiers got out to a lead early. Tom Izzo said at the half it was the worst 12 minutes he'd seen in quite some time out of the Spartans. But then Tyson Walker got hot from the outside. Michigan State took a lead, and all of a sudden it just compiled from there. 80-65, Spartans now 17-10 and overall, 9-7 and in the league. Indiana falling to 19-9 and 10-7 and in the the Big Ten. Trace Jackson Davis had 19 points. Jalen Hood, Shafino, 16. Trey Galloway added 11 and then afterwards talked about what did in Indiana in the second half against Michigan State. Like you said, the rebounding. Uh, they, they out-rebounded us, and I know when they're at home, they out-rebound their opponents. They're, they win. So I, I, I think we just got out tough for the most part. Um, we played pretty solid for the first couple minutes, and then after that, they just took it to another gear, and then, um, like I said, just got out tough. IU takes on Purdue this Saturday. Elsewhere, Ball State and Michael Lewis's crew got their 20th win of the season. They say top Kent State 82-70. They are looking very good, and like you said, they might be making a run at the March Madness tournament uh, in a couple weeks. So we'll have to see what that might check in with Michael Lewis at some point later this week. Elsewhere, uh, today on College Hoops, busy day. Three of the five Indiana teams in action are at home. Bradley takes on Valparaiso. Butler against DePaul. Indiana State against Belmont, North Carolina, and uh, Kevin's Notre Dame squad, and then Illinois, Chicago against Evansville. Hey, how about North Carolina and Notre Dame? I mean, North Carolina right now, as we just talked about, outside looking in, 16-11 and 11 overall, Notre Dame obviously, uh, their season will wash at 10-17, and 17, but to think that North Carolina, national title game a year ago, and mm-hmm. now all of a sudden, you know, they're looking at it like, well, what happened? Yeah, fell that off was a cliff. A, the, the problem for Indiana, although I don't think it's going to be a problem because Indiana – you know, Indiana's in the tournament, right? But we were talking about the seeding for Indiana. That North Carolina win at the beginning of the year was absolutely one that you thought was going to be in their quality wins category. Not so much. And and probably not so much in terms of helping them out with seeding. How locked in is Kevin going to be on that game while he's on vacation? Think he's slapping the floor in the in the beach resort he's at? Notre Dame with that five-game losing yeah. streak, and Kevin is all Come fired on my up, brain. right? <laughs> well... Kevin actually is probably more concerned about Brandon Miller, the Alabama forward, that Kevin was uh, basically in love with. He was ready to build a statue, right? And uh, it turns out that I'm not going to say that Brandon Miller was involved in a bust, but his name has been linked. No no flippancy about it with the, uh, the charge that he provided a gun for a shooting in Alabama. But Nate Oates, the head coach at Alabama, says no wrongdoing and that Miller has been a solid citizen in the time that he's been in Tuscaloosa. So we'll see how that affects his draft stock. We mentioned it for the Colts. Chris Strasser, their offensive line coach, headed to Houston now. 
for the same job with the Houston Texans. My first thought on that, Mark, was that that means that league-wide at least, the problems that the Colts offensive line had this year, certainly at least the Houston Texans must have looked at that and said that's either an injury issue or a personnel issue and not a coaching issue. Apparently. Which, which a lot of people have pointed to. Yeah. Yeah. I think Colts fans are, are not upset with the news, but yeah. I mean, Houston saw something where they were like, yep, give us more of that. So, I mean, I know they'd add a lot of holes to fill on their roster, but Chris Strasser, hopefully not going to bite the Colts uh, when he takes them on in Houston now. Uh, Bubba Ventrone, who had played in Cleveland from 2009 to 2012, now apparently set to become their special teams coordinator. That would create vacancy within the Colts. That's the position that he's held, obviously, with Indianapolis. We'll get into that more with Stephen Holder. That would be a huge loss for the Colts, I would say. You know, that's that's a really, really, really critical coaching position for a reason that I'll explain to you when we come back on the other side. And then Stephen Holder joins us just under 30 minutes from now. Good Wednesday to you. Kevin and Query here, 93.5-1075, The Fan. Jake Query going through the World Series history from like 1979 to present during the break. Were you impressed? Well, yeah, you kept you said stop me when I'm impressed. It's like I I said that like 15 well, World Series ago. So Sam Fritz, who is a fan of Philadelphia sports, was commenting on the different worlds, the fact that Philadelphia has a chance to have a finalist in all four sports. I, I would like to clarify quickly. I'm a fan of Indiana sports. I just came here from no, Philadelphia. I, mean, I get that, but you. Okay, so but you pay attention to Philadelphia. Yeah, I, I have my ear to the ground. And so you were you were commenting on, and I said, yeah, they did that in 1980, and then I that led to me just saying, yeah, in '80 they with Tug McGraw they beat the Royals, and then I just got to thinking about it because the first the first World Series that I truly remember watching like game by game was '79, the Pirates and the Orioles, the Bucks and the Birds as we called it back then. Uh, cute fella, I. I I kind of liked both te- When you're a little kid like that, you are fascinated by the uniforms. And the Pirates, that was the We Are Family era with the weird-looking hats with the yellow stripe around them. They were cool. But the Oriole Bird, cute fella, is really cool. for You know, he's just he's a cute fella yeah. on a hat. And he's just saying, like, hey, root, yeah. root for me. So I'm at the Mascot Hall of Fame. I yeah, took a picture. I sent it to you. I know, but they call him Oriole Bird. It's, it's cute fella is what he really should be known as. Uh, anyway, then we went all the way through. But good morning to you. It is a Wednesday. I guess today it's going to be uh, pretty windy, a little bit warmer later in the day, but then things change towards the end of the week. But uh, on Watch a hot day that. Wednesday. Watch out for that rain, by the way. It's supposed to storm big time. Is it really? Yeah. It's a good nap day, Mark. I know. <laughs> you don't have to tell me twice. <laughs> that on the docket for you. Um, yeah. So on this Wednesday, the Colts might be looking through LinkedIn, which, as we know, is uh, tender for professionals. And looking not only for a new offensive line coach, because Chris Strasser apparently headed to Houston, and then Bubba Ventrone, like we'd mentioned, maybe on his way to Cleveland. Let's begin with that one. I think special teams coordinator, we've, we've talked a lot about this in the past. But when you look at the roster of an NFL team, special teams coordinator, special teams coach, whichever way you want to look at it, there's a reason why they are often coveted when you hear, like in head coaching searches, a lot of times you'll hear the names mentioned of a special teams coach. And you're like, why the special teams guy as opposed to an offensive or defensive coordinator? I think there's a, a certain skill set within the special teams coordinator because 
you know when you move. When you move, you have like one huge box that uh, in huge Sharpie on the outside of it says living room. And everything's boxed up that goes in the living room mm-hmm. in that box. Then you've got a second box, bedroom. Everything from your bedroom goes in that. And then eventually you get that last box that is just like the catch-all. I always call it the the like screw it box because you're you're moving everything and then you get to a point you're like just screw it just throw all that stuff in one box and it's got like a hammer in it and then it's got maybe like an errant light bulb scotch tape is in there yeah, scotch tape whatever that is kind of from a roster standpoint and I listen special teams players are very important don't get me wrong. But it's the hodgepodge, right? It's that that's the box the special teams coordinator gets. Because if you look at on Thursday or Friday of an NFL week, when teams make roster moves, they know that they've got to get insurance at the line because the left tackle is out for the week because he tweaked his ankle on Wednesday. They know that they've got to get an extra tight end because they're they have a tight end that's in the concussion protocol. So they they waive guys. They bring in like a tight end roster guy that shuffles everybody down a deck. And so the special teams coordinator is the one guy that the unit he's working with is in constant flux. He always has two or three guys on it that are the bottom roster guys that are rotated through, that are brought back, waved, brought back again. They don't have them in practice on Wednesday. Now they got to play on Sunday. I think there's a lot of both personnel and personality meshing that needs to go on by the special teams coordinator. Yeah, for sure. You're, you're kind of like, it's kind of like the chef that gets all the food that's like about to expire. Like, hey, put this together and make something tonight for a special. Okay, fine. Put together. You take all the roster, you look at the guys that maybe are on the verge of not making it and try to see what fits, what doesn't and stuff. That's what the special teams coordinators do. You got to find the guys that can do the kick returns, the punt returns, all that stuff. So, um, and it's critical because obviously if you get good returns, you're flipping the field on on your offense and your de- and the opponent's defense and everything. So uh, I think Bubba Ventrone has been highly touted in, with the Colts organization, and to lose him, I mean, I, I know the, the the rumors were coming up yesterday, like, hey, he might, might take this interview, but I don't think anybody really thought he was going to be gone. But now Stephen Holder, one of the follow-ups he's, he's had on a tweet that's almost uh, 24 hours old, said, multiple people, multiple people have already told me this morning that Bubba Ventrone is gone and will take the job in Cleveland. That's not a confirmation, but sounding more like this will happen again. That would be a huge loss for the Colts organization to try to find a fill-in for Bubba Ventrone. I, mean, I get it. I, they he, think Bubba highly Ventrone, of him. They had him interview for the head coaching job. I mean, he played four years there. Mm-hmm. I, you know, I think that we... I think that we always have the assumption that just because people are in a current situation, like, why would they possibly leave? I, you never know. I mean, he played four years there. Like, yeah. it, it, it might be a special place to him. I, you know, who knows? Maybe they're offering him more money. Uh, who knows? Yeah. But um, And then the offensive line coach to me is of intrigue because two two reasons. The first, like I said, I'm not saying it's a total indictment on the drop-off in play on the line in terms of the personnel, but it kind of is because this is not the Arizona Cardinals coming in and hiring away your offensive line coach. This is a divisional foe, which means that they saw you and probably analyzed you and watched tape on you more than any other 28 other franchises. And so 
you know, clearly they thought from a schematic or coaching standpoint there was not issue with the offensive line of the Indianapolis Colts, which would mean the problem came down to, and, and in my opinion, it came down to a regression of two players, Quentin Nelson and Ryan Kelly. I think health could have been an issue there. Uh-huh. You could probably, in Ryan Kelly's case, and understandably and 1,000% respectfully so, and I want to be delicate when I say it because I'm I'm saying this strictly as an observation, not as indictment or, or even necessarily fact. But he went through, as we know, from a family standpoint, a very traumatic, with the loss of a child, you, you, it is, you could pinpoint that as a time when his play started to regress. I don't know if that is the main culprit, but it's absolutely understandable if that's what it is. Of course. I, you know, and, and the center is a very important piece of the offensive line. Now, the other thing is, you know, I think they were very reliant on the pillar of Quentin Nelson – who still played at a high level, but not at the level that we're used to from him. There were times where Quentin Nelson got thrown flat on his back. Yeah. Stuff and we I, hadn't seen before. Where you're correct. Like, wow, you've never seen him get overpowered. And usually. that had to be a health issue, one would think, because it was just so out of character. Yeah, I keep waiting for once we get to like training camp or something. Like, yeah, I had a cleanup procedure or something in the right. offseason or whatever. You, right. you have to think that's what it has to be because he just didn't look right all year. Now, the other thing, Mark, let me ask you this. Before we get back into talking a little college basketball here, if if well, not if probably, but you know, so if the Colts are looking around and are going to go outside the complex for offensive line coach, you know what name is going to be thrown around, right? I think I know where you're going. I don't personally believe. That Jeff Saturday would entertain that that option. That's not. I don't know that. I know that Jeff Saturday. I think it would be tough, and I don't know twofold here. I don't know that Jeff Saturday would entertain because the reason I'm mentioning is because people are going to say if they are looking for an offensive line coach, because I saw a lot of people that said when Jeff Saturday when it was clear he was not going to get the head coaching job, I saw a lot of people that were like, oh, you know, but he would be a good offensive line coach. Understood. I don't know that he entertains that option just because it would be really challenging. I know how badly he wanted to be the head coach of the Colts. I don't know that Jeff Saturday necessarily wanted that in the beginning because it came together so quickly when Ursay called him. But once he got in and got through the process and started dealing with the day-to-day of being the head coach, then I think the competitive juices start flowing where not only does he feel he could help the roster and help the franchise, but also, Mark, that the competitive juices start flowing that I'm going to be good at this. And when the results were not there, I think Saturday's mindset was, but I'm still good at this because I know what the expectation was and what the request was of me. Uh-huh. Where he erred was saying in the beginning that it come down, comes down to wins and losses. Yeah. Because I don't know that for Jim Irsay in the evaluation of Jeff Saturday, that was the criteria. But. That's the criteria he laid out for himself. Correct. Now, 
because of that competitive nature where, and he definitely wanted that head coaching job. And he definitely felt like he had done the things to merit getting the head coaching job. I don't know, though, that you could now, because of that desire to get that, step back and say, now I'm going to I'm gonna work for somebody else that got the job over me. Just from a, That would be a, a, a psychologically challenging thing. That's that a tough pill to swallow, like pride-wise. Correct. And that's like, not I a, was leading this team, and now I'll be and a And I say that as a kudos to him, not right. as a knock on him. Yeah. Additionally, if you're Shane Steichen, do you want in the building the guy that privately, deep down, you might think your owner actually preferred instead of you? Yeah, that's why I don't see that happening. Because I think, I think, first of all, I don't know if Steichen will want that. Second of all, I don't think Jeff Saturday would want that. I mean, either that or you paying him. You're going to pay him the most off- most expensive offensive line coaching salary in if NFL you're Ballard, history. If you're Ballard, do you want that? I don't think so. I, I think they will go elsewhere, whether that's... Whether that's just looking outside the organization, whether that's Steichen bringing in someone from the Eagles staff at some point for the offensive line coach, I think that's that's more likely to happen than Jeff Saturday uh, getting another spin in the Colts organization from a coaching standpoint. I don't think he would want that. I think, you know, and I, I'm not speaking for him, I'm just the free thinking, but I would assume he would go back to ESPN or something like that and get a, you know, a gig there where he doesn't have to do the ins and outs of a coaching season, especially as a coordinator. Speaking of back to ESPN, last night um, I did exactly that at 9 o'clock, and then like around 10.30 they finally switched over to the Indiana game with Michigan State. Have you seen American Pie? <laughs> Who are you talking to? Okay, I figured so. American Pie, to me, I have always felt... We'll just tell your mother that, uh, that we ate it all. <laughs> Have right. I seen American Pie? That might be the worst question you've ever asked. I've always felt like Michigan State. I went to Indiana. I think people know that went to IU. Michigan State to me just always felt like the the sister school of IU to an extent. And by that I mean this. In Indiana, if you went to Carmel or North Central or Warren Central or Decatur Central or Chatard or Ron College, whatever school you went to around, if you grew up in Indianapolis, IU was the school for a lot of people that if you weren't sure exactly what you wanted to do for a living, but you knew you had to go to college, it was like 13th grade uh-huh. within the, the culture that you grew up. It was like, yeah, I'm just going to go to IU, and then I'll figure it out kind of thing. Purdue is where kids went that had a very specified idea of what they wanted to do for a living because Purdue is so specialized and so strong academically and the math and the engineering and, you know, and the, well, their business school now is very good too. But Purdue typically were kids that they had familial ties to Purdue or there was a design specific program. Whereas people that were like just going for the college experience, I don't mean that as a knock academically, but that was IU was like where they went. And I feel like Michigan State is that school. So I've always kind of felt like Michigan State was just like the, the kids that I went to IU with, the equivalency thereof in the state of Michigan is Michigan State. Uh-huh. And so the beginning of that game, seeing the T-shirts and the whiteout and, you know, Spartan Strong or whatever it was on the shirts mm-hmm. and knowing what that school had gone through. Shout out to Mike Woodson and stuff, by the way, for wearing those, wearing that hoodie. Totally. And and, and I... Stand up, I could stand just, up move. I, I think we could all relate to what that would what that would be like and how that would feel to see that out of your school. You know, Motman went to Michigan State uh-huh. and 
when that happened, I remember te- I texted Mottman and I'm like, did you, you know, have you heard about this, whatever? And I mean, it's text. You can, but I could tell then, like it, like it rattled him, right? Because that's it's, it's like a family type feel. Mm-hmm. And so, I thought Indiana did a nice job of recognizing the moment for Michigan State, and I think Michigan State was rattled a little bit by it in the beginning of that game because they were just slow to get going, and dug themselves a hole but then once Indiana once Michigan State got in rhythm and the crowd got into it and then everything kind of returned to a normalcy and people were able to set aside everything else that went into it and just focus on the game and the crowd got into it Indiana at that point was in a world yeah there was almost like the first first half of the first half was like there's like a hush over the crowd just kind of like this correct this hush over the crowd like, even like the basketball score, like should the, we be here yeah, yeah and it was just one of those weird like kind of just you know you could just tell it's kind of like a weird feel for a little bit and you saw indiana get off to a pretty decent start too so that didn't help things but even when michigan state would score it was just kind of like a hushed hushed reaction and then all of a sudden like i said tyson walker started getting hot from three and he started hearing the crowd amp up a little bit and he hit that three-pointer right before halftime and the place went nuts because i uh, michigan state went up by like five points at that at that uh, point in the game and at that point, I was like, "Well, I think I think the momentum is shifting now because now they went to halftime. They've got the lead. They got the good vibes are flowing. The Michigan State faithful are loud and proud now. And uh, sure loud, enough, man. that second half they turned it on. They didn't take loud. their foot off the gas. Tom is a hell of a coach. He is. Um, Stephen Holder, by the way, had the story about the possibility of the Colts looking on the waiver wire for coaches, if you will. We'll get into that with him next. He joins us from." ESPN.com. That conversation on the other side. It's Kevin Aquari, 93.5107.5 The Fan. Jake Quarry along with Mark Dykton. Kevin Bowen enjoying vacation down in Florida. Sam Fritz running the big board for us this morning. A guy that Vacation is probably a foreign word to him because it would be difficult when you're on the Colts beat, especially this year. There seemingly is no offseason. Stephen Holder joins us on the Payless Liquors Hotline. You can read Stephen's work, of course, at ESPN.com. And uh, Stephen, we'll begin with this. The carousel never necessarily stops, and it looks like the Colts might be looking back into the coaching waving uh, waiver wires, if you will, right? A couple of positions that might be opening up for him. Yeah, um, certainly the the big one to me is the uh, the special teams coordinator Bubba Ventron, especially because I did not anticipate that he would be leaving, and and now it seems like that is very much a possibility. Um, you know, on this one, what's interesting is that I, you know I think there was an anticipation that or was anticipated that he would he would remain, uh, and that's that's kind of how I had been moving forward, but. I wonder if if this wasn't something that just came up. I mean, with with Cleveland just now firing their special teams coach, uh, I believe on on Tuesday morning, uh, it, it's it strikes me at least as if uh, they they decided to make this move because maybe they figured they could get Bubba Ventrone. You know, um, so I don't know. This is very interesting. I, I do think that he is among the the top special teams coordinators out there. I think this is, if, if this ultimately happens, if this does, uh, you know, actually 
come to pass. I do think that uh, this is going to be a, a big blow to the Colts. I, I think he really has uh, been a, a big force for them and has helped them win games over the years. I, I was saying, Stephen, you know, a couple, I don't know, half an hour ago we were talking about it, and I was saying, look, you know, he played in Cleveland, so I understand that you, you never know what motivates somebody to – we often think like, well, it's Indianapolis. You know, this is the the great. And I mean, obviously, I'm convinced it's the greatest place on earth. And when I become mayor, it'll be even greater. But um, that said, how much of it do you think could be fueled by the fact that you know, hey, listen, I I applied and interviewed for the head coaching position, and they chose someone else over me. So I'm going to go ahead and look elsewhere. I mean, I think you have to at least consider it, right? And then there's also. Uh, the the reality that I, I thought Bubba Ventrone was was best positioned to be the uh, interim head coach, and he was not tabbed for that either. I didn't expect him to get the head coaching position, the permanent job. I, I thought there was a lot of good competition there, but I I think it is it, it is reasonable for him to to be disappointed maybe in and not getting the chance to be the interim. You know, particularly because Bubba Ventrone. Uh, has been on record and very clear about wanting to become a head coach. And and he has had a little bit of momentum toward that in, in the last couple of years. His name has has become more known in league circles. And, and I think it's something that is a reasonable goal for him now. And, you know, look, I mean, maybe being an interim coach isn't necessarily uh, a resume maker all the time, but, but it's an opportunity. It's definitely an opportunity, and, and he did not get that opportunity. I have no idea whether that is driving any of this for him, but I, I think those are the things that you have to at least consider. The other thing is I would be very interested if this happens. I would be very interested in, in knowing if he ultimately gets like an associate or assistant head coach title which then perhaps means more money, et cetera, and, and certainly more responsibility. So so that's something to consider as well. ESPN Colts reporter Stephen Holder joining us on the Payless Lurkers Hotline on Kevin and Query. Stephen, the percentage chance that Bubba Patron, Patron takes the job with Cleveland, I feel like when the news came out yesterday it was pretty low, and then now it seems like it's done a wild swing in the opposite direction. What percentage would you put on him actually departing and heading to Cleveland? Well, before the news broke, I got a text yesterday morning and said, hey, Bubba Ventron's going to Cleveland. <laughs> Literally, that was what wow. I got. And and I looked into it, and I said, whoa, 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 wait, what's going on here? And uh, I, the second text I got when I poked around was that, yeah, you're right. <laughs> it looks like it's happening. Uh, so, And then I got more context in that they had requested an interview. But the, the reason I bring that up is, is not because I'm trying to, you know, I'm not trying to necessarily, you know, cloud the issue. What I'm saying is the the expectation out there is that this is going to happen. That was that was the expectation when this news broke among I'm talking about among NFL people before news became public. That is what I was hearing. And I wasn't hearing, "Hey, they're interested in talking to Bubba Ventrone." It was, "No, he's gone." And so I, there was People were convinced that he's gone. Let's put it that way. So I, I am kind of expecting it to happen. It's not a confirmation, and I'm, you know, I've kind of chose my words carefully here. But I, I, I seem to, uh, or they seem to be convinced that it's happening. Let's put it that way. People who know more than me seem convinced that it's going to happen. So, uh, yeah, that's I 
don't disagree with your statement. So, <laughs> it so what? Looks a, like it's going to happen. So, would a departure, him leaving, would that be a shock for those in the building? Because wasn't he at the Steichen yeah. introductory press conference with Gus Bradley? It made it seem like those two guys were staying, and now, not even a week later, you know, it looks like he's moving on. Let's put it this way: I, I reached out to a source uh, in the Colts building uh, before this news broke. That person did not know. Let's put it that way. So, I do think. All indications to me, and, and this is someone who's not, you know, not necessarily way down the food chain, if you will. Uh, so that indicates to me that this is something that, that just came about and is just unfolding. Um, and, and that, yes, they did anticipate he would be staying. Because, again, I, I think him being at the press conference, or Steichen's introductory press conference, it's not necessarily a, a slam dunk, but. I do think it said a lot, and and I know that Steichen met with uh, met with the coaches last week individually, uh, at least most of them, as far as I know, and I I got the impression it was kind of like all right, business as usual, we're moving forward, and so I was definitely stunned by it, and I think others were too because there was an expectation or at least an assumption that Bubba Ventrone was going to be staying on. Stephen, another coach, obviously, that or position that the Colts – Stephen Holder's our, our guest, by the way. Another position the Colts are going to have to fill, presumably, you know, is obviously offensive line coach. Um, you know what people are going to guess, right, or what people are going to ask. Do you think there's any possibility that Jeff Saturday, A, would take that call, and B, if you're Shane Steichen, do you have Chris Ballard make that call? I think probably not. If you're saying Steichen, all right, let, let's. I want to say this delicately. <laughs> if you're saying Steichen, I would probably not want Jeff Saturday to have any 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 major role with the team. Correct. And you know, nothing I mean? against I, Jeff Saturday, right? I mean, you're yeah. just—it's—it's it's, it's just a distraction almost. You know what I'm saying? Because right. it's like there was, there was so much has happened. His name has been—you know—whether you like him, whether you thought it was a terrible decision, whatever. The, there's a lot of opinions, though, right? One way or the other. If I'm Shane Steichen, I don't want any part of that, man. I want to run my own program. I want to do my own thing, and I don't want Jeff Saturday within within ten miles of the building. <laughs> And again, it has nothing to do with just Saturday being a good person, bad person, or otherwise. It has nothing to do with that. I just think it's just too much of a, a distraction and too much of a uh, an, an issue that he'll have to talk about too much. And I, no, no, for me, absolutely not. And I would say this: I I heard I heard three or four candidates that they have that that have you know, get garnered interest for that job. He was not one of those people. Let's put it that way. And, you know, the, the other question, Stephen, there's no doubt about the fact that Jeff Saturday wanted the head coaching position. And, and I had mentioned earlier, I don't know that when he was initially called as the interim that Jeff Saturday wanted the head coaching position. But then, and you, you stopped me when – you believe that I'm off base here. Mm -hmm. Then I think the competitive juices started flowing where once Jeff Saturday got involved and in particular, once he felt like he was being unfairly 
associated with the wins and losses in terms of the, the team itself. Then the competitive juice flow where he's like, look, I'm going for this. I want this job. Yeah. And I think that, that because of that, even for Saturday, it would be tough to come back in a situation anything shy of that actual title. Agree or disagree? I, I agree with everything up until the very end. Just And when I say the end, I mean, uh, you know, assuming that he wouldn't want something lesser, but only because I don't know that for a fact. However, I think it's a reasonable take. I really do. I, you were correct on the rest of it. There's no doubt about it. Like, I, he went from saying when he took the job, hey, I may be terrible at this, and then I'll get out of here, right? <laughs> and and that was clearly not the case. I mean, it didn't go well. He was 1-7, and seven, and he, at that point, didn't say, all right, you know what, go get somebody else. Maybe this isn't for me. No, he very much wanted the job, and he very much tried to give context as to how they ended up one and seven and and i think that was kind of his his calling card and his mantra was like hey 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 don't get caught up in the record let me you know here's what you don't know there's all the other stuff that happened and so anyway so all that's true and and i but i I do think that there's there's a human nature here right and human nature is such that (laughs) what you had to had a taste of of the big office you know the corner office and that's intoxicating, man. And you're right. It's it's definitely difficult to to go from that to you know to not having decision making power and and having to, to do a lot of the dirty work. And I mean that's that's tough. I mean, look, he's had an opportunity to be the offensive line coach before, and he wasn't interested, at least not at that time. And so, and that was before he had had this opportunity to to be a head coach. So it's probably less appealing now after that, you would think. So Stephen Holder joining us on the Payless Liggers Hotline on Kevin and Query. Uh, Any coaching names that you're hearing to keep an eye out for for offensive line coach and potentially special teams coordinator if Bo Ventron ends up heading to Cleveland? Well, the... Not so much on special teams coordinator so far. That I don't know. I mean, there have been a couple names rumored on the special teams coach, one of them being the the, the Eagles assistant offensive line coach. Uh, a couple others that I, I don't want to say on the radio because I am not so sure whether they're accurate, but but there are some rumors out there. I'll I'll, I'll try to flush that out a little more uh, before I go there. But there is one that that people have heard of before. Let's leave, let's leave it at that. Um, let me let me circle back on that when I get more information. <laughs> I don't want to put rumors out there that I know that I don't know to be true. Okay, I'll ask you this one then. Uh, what are yeah. your thoughts on Jim Bob Cooter's role on the offense with Shane Steichen yeah. being the play caller? How will he handle being an offensive coordinator that doesn't call plays? Yeah, I mean, I think that's a big role. I mean, he has been a play caller before, um, and so I think that helps because you have, I think, a better understanding of of, of the process and, and how the game planning translates um, on game day for the play caller, uh, I, I think that's a big role. And I think sometimes we 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 go too far. I think in separating the play caller from the game planner, offensive coordinator, etc. I mean, the best example is Nick Sirianni. Never called a play a day in his life while he worked for the Colts. Right? Not one time. Frank Reich always called the plays, and I would say that hire worked out pretty well for Philadelphia. Now. I think it didn't necessarily work out 
purely because he's some great offensive mind. He, he is a good offensive mind. That's true. But, I mean, there, he brought more to the table than that, let's be clear. But I, but I do think he was very, very valuable to the Colts in that role, even without being the play caller. And so I, I always implore people to not overlook that or get too caught up in who calls the plays. The, uh, calling the plays is hugely important, right? And it's, it's critical. But there's so much more involved in that, and the head coach can't do all of it. Uh, it's, it's, it's putting the game plan together, running the meetings on offense, it's, it's, it's spending just inordinate amounts of time with the quarterbacks and, and getting the blocking schemes together. All of those things are driven uh, largely by the offensive coordinator when you have a head coach who is the play caller. That's just how that works. I mean, there's only 24 hours in a day, and a head coach gets pulled in many, many different directions. And so, you know, Shane Sykin hasn't experienced this yet, but he's going to find out. I mean, he can't do everything on offense and Jim Bob Cooter is going to have to take on a lot of those roles that I just outlined and so that's but I do think he's up for the task uh he has he has a, a I think a, a long history of experience in this league has worked with some good quarterbacks he has uh experience with Peyton Manning for example uh Matt Stafford so I, I think he's up for it and and I, I think I've, I've heard good things about him and positive reviews of that hire. So uh, I like it. Uh, Steven, this will stun you, I realize. Hmm. I I don't know at times that I trust my own maturity. Like, there are times I think I'm still in the fifth grade. Can can we just... That doesn't sound like you at all. (laughs) Can can you... Will you be willing to to partner with me here on this as my running mate, if you will, on this (laughs) campaign that I'm going to do, that we're just going to go with JBC... Like Trace Jackson Davis for IU. People just call him TJD, right? Can, can we right. just call Jim Bob Cooter JBC? Uh, I'm actually okay with it because yeah. – I, yeah, I, I don't I trust mean, myself. You know what I mean? Then you throw in like yeah, – you, you throw I, in Moali Cox in the same room and I just get very uncomfortable and my job's on the line. Just JBC works for me. <laughs> I, I'm with you. I, I think you. it eliminates the possibility of – of <laughs> Impropriety? Greater coming out. <laughs> yes. Yeah, that's exactly right. Um, <laughs> do that. Do you believe, Stephen, and probably the combine is going to be a real indicator on this, which we'll find out, you know, coming off of that here in a week or two, but I, do you believe the Colts are going to move up? I, I, I don't – I'm not necessarily totally in favor of this because – and I'm really fascinated by it because I think there might be – I think that we – convince ourselves because Indianapolis is for the first time in 10 years seemingly going to take a quote-unquote franchise quarterback in the draft and so therefore we convince ourselves that this is a a quarterback rich draft I don't know that it is I I don't know but I don't know also that there's a huge drop-off I think there are four guys probably that went healthy Four guys that that are are guys that you can dra- that are that are worthy of giving a shot to hand the keys over to, but I don't know that there's enough disparity from one to four to mortgage the pieces that you have, and I don't know that the Colts have enough depth of those pieces to move up those three spots. To me, you don't get return on investment. What say you? I don't think that's a terrible viewpoint. And here's the thing: 
Bryce Young, I love Bryce Young. I think he is I think he's an absolute wonderful player. And and any team would be lucky to have him. However, look, I mean the 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 size issues are are legitimate, right? And and I think when you throw that in there, that makes him an imperfect prospect. There's no question about it. I mean, we we think he might be close to six feet. We think, we hope, but he's he's probably like five eleven. We'll see at the combine, and certainly not from a from a weight perspective and and just you know uh, durability. You worry about that certainly. So anyway, he's not a perfect prospect. And so trading up to number one, which is what I, I think if you if that's what you want, if that's the guy you want, I think you gotta go to number one just to be sure, right? So what it would take to do that potentially versus what you you know, maybe passing up and say a CJ Stroud, is that worth it? I, I don't know that answer. I actually think this is not your question per se, but I think it I think it it helps uh explain uh, well, it helps back up what you're saying. Why are we not talking about C.J. Stroud a little more? I right? totally agree. I, I Listen, the only thing, Stephen, here would be my answer, and I know that you're asking that somewhat rhetorically, but this would be my yeah. answer. Two things, the first of which should be totally non-applicable, and I don't think to the Colts it is applicable, but to fans it might be. Mm-hmm. The pattern of Ohio State players drafted by the Colts ain't a good one, yeah. right? Fair. But – I think people become naturally hesitant about, like, if you look at Trevor Lawrence, who I think the world of Trevor Lawrence's skill set, mentality, I mean, I think he is a Peyton Manning-esque talent. I've said that on this show 10,000 times. But I think it was a slower acclimation for him to the NFL because he was so, I mean, look who he was throwing to in college. He yeah, was throwing to T. Right. Higgins. He was throwing to Justin Ross before injury. He was throwing to guys that are that are Sunday players. And I think C.J. Stroud, you get the same There's hesitation a little there. bit. Be, yeah. You get what I'm saying, right? Yeah, absolutely. It's, and it, it's something that crossed my mind, right? I mean, he's not going to have Marvin Harrison Jr., right? Marvin right. Harrison Jr. might be a better wide receiver than like 50% of the dudes already playing on Sunday, right? That guy is not coming with him. So I get it. Yes, those are those are fair questions, and those are the kinds of things you got to talk about. But you know, I was I was talking, I was on another radio program yesterday, and I, I just kind of fell into this like epiphany. And uh, you know, we were talking about C.J. Stroud, and and I said, you know, he's kind of the guy that no one's talking about, but it's like, tell me what's wrong with him, right? No, and you can't find really a lot wrong with him. And, and the last guy who kind of put me in this mindset was Justin Herbert a few years ago. If you recall, he was kind of just there, and people were like, yeah, nice player. But there were other bigger-name guys, like Tua came out the same year, right? And so he absorbed all the oxygen and, and other guys. And so no one's talking about Justin Herbert. He's just kind of there, and it turns out, yeah, there was really nothing wrong with him all along. He was a great prospect. The Chargers pick him, and it's like, oh, guess what he's really good <laughs> i have no idea whether that's cj stroud's outcome but i'm just saying the the situations feel comparable and and maybe we should just pay more attention so we'll see i, I have no idea but but no one's talking about him so i brought it up <laughs> there's that is espn colts reporter steven holder on the payless liquors hotline steven thank you for joining us as always a week from today we'll probably be bothering you at the nfl scouting combine so we always appreciate the time thanks for joining us All right, guys, let's do it. 
see it. Uh, Stephen Holder joining us on the Payless Liquors Hotline. Appreciate it. I, Stephen's sitting here talking to us, and I feel this this presence. It's not uncommon. And, and I look over to my side, and am I hallucinating, or is JMV's on in like nine hours from now, and you're already in here prepping? Oh, yeah. You're not going on the air? You don't want to grab a microphone? Might as well fill 90 minutes with us. <laughs> you got your coffee. Now, why are you here? It's 825 in the morning. Got to do an interview at 10. Well, an interview at 10, it's 825. <laughs> okay. Well, you want to go down to Jack's Donuts or anything? Or? He's going to shoot some hoops in the gym for a little bit. Yeah, well, okay. Well, yeah, there you go. The Casey's Coffee. Did you get some pizza with that? I did not. Okay. Well, J&B's in here hanging out. But it's good to see that you're – I mean, the preparation is impressive. Yeah. He's got uh, a lot more pep in his step than you do at this time. What's that? He's got a lot more pep in his step at oh, this I, hour than you la- do. Last night, like I said, we were at Leader House uh, watching the band Dysfunction Brass for Mardi Gras, and this guy comes up, Jackson, and is like, hey, man, I, I really enjoy your show, et cetera. And really nice guy. And I go, hey, I appreciate it. And then I said to him, I go, and by the way, I wake up around 930. So it, 930 to 10, that's when we really hit our groove. That's what you always say. I've, we've hit our stride. I'm like, because you've been awake for like, 30 John, minutes. John, you get going about 545, right? You're really... <laughs> Really in stride then. Uh, by the way, it's time for a morning check down. I think JMV's mad at me. He didn't want anybody to know he's in here. Uh, Ball State, by the way, last night, eighty-two <clears throat> seventy over Kent State. Michael Lewis's group now twenty and eight, uh, twenty and eight overall, eleven and four in league play. I've got a frog in my throat. I get so choked up thinking about it. <clears throat> Kent State, by the way, twenty-two and eight, twelve and three in the max. So that was a big one last night <clears throat> for the Cardinals. But Mark. On the other end of things in the state, Indiana and Michigan State, not the same story. Yeah, Michigan State, obviously, lots of emotion going into that one last night, their first game back uh, at home after the mass shooting at the campus. They topped IU 80-65. to uh, IU just couldn't get it going in the second half. Trey, you know, Wilson was hitting everything that he – Trey Walker was hitting everything that he could from Tyson the, Walker. Tyson Walker. I don't know why I said Trey Walker. I'm thinking Trey Galloway. Hit everything that he could from three-point lane. Uh, 80-65, IU now gets ready for Purdue on Saturday in West Lafayette. Uh, Trey Galloway, by the way, had hit a couple of threes at one point in the second half, kind of started to get in rhythm. He thought maybe they were going to get some complimentary scoring for Trace Jackson Davis, but in the end, Michigan State pulling away. As we talked about, uh, Galloway ended up with 11. Afterwards, talked about the one area where Michigan State bested Indiana en route to that 15-point win. Like you said, the rebounding, um, they, they out-rebounded us, and I know when they're at home, they out-rebound their opponents, they're, they win. So I, I, I think we just got out tough for the most part. Um, we played pretty solid for the first couple minutes, and then after that, they just took it to another gear, and then, um, like I said, just got out tough. Five games on the docket for Indiana teams today. Valparaiso and Bradley go at it at 7 o'clock. Butler and DePaul, 8.30. Indiana State takes on Belmont, North Carolina, Notre Dame, and Illinois-Chicago against Evansville. That's your slate of in-house Indiana games today in College Hoops. Elsewhere, uh, for the Colts, we just talked to Stephen Holder. Uh, Chris Strausser heading to the Houston Texans to take the O-line job there. And they could be looking for a special teams coordinator. Uh, Bubba Ventrone seems like the odds have shifted that he is likely heading to Cleveland, uh, which is I don't think anybody was expecting that yesterday when the news was coming out that the Cleveland had put in a request for him. So that would be a huge loss for the Colts. We'll see what they do with that one. Uh, Pacers in action, by the way, tomorrow night. They return to the hardwood after the All-Star break. It's the Boston Celtics that come into town. And then after that, it is on the road big time. Willie Nelson going to strum it up for Indiana. They go to Orlando on Saturday. That begins a long road trip for 
the blue and gold. Speaking of college basketball, by the way, back to that. Terry Morin, as we talked about, Indiana now, the Big Ten champions all alone in women's basketball. She's going to join us in just over 30 minutes. It's Kevin and Query on a Wednesday, 93.5, 107.5, The Fan. Katie Geralds, possibly one of the greatest players ever to play this game in the state of Indiana. Steph, that's saying quite a bit, isn't it? That is saying quite a bit. There have been a lot of great players to play in Indiana, but Katie Geralds just one of the many to follow in the footsteps of the ones that started before. Great players. The Beach Grove Hornets hit the floor at center court. They are excited, and the celebration begins for the 28-1 state champs in 3A. What a game. What a game indeed. Beach Crow came out really from the beginning and did not look back. You cannot stop Katie Geralds and everybody else really stepped up, hit some big shots, got some big rebounds. I have always said Katie Geralds, arguably the most dominant high school athlete that I have seen in my years of covering sports here in the state of Indiana. The 2003 3A state championship game that you heard right there, Beach Grove and South Bend St. Joe. Chris Whalen, Stephanie White on the call as Katie Geralds, who went on, of course, to a fabulous career at Purdue before playing in the WNBA and now the head coach for the women's team up in West Lafayette. And who can ever forget her hitting not one, not two, but three free throws standing by herself on the charity stripe at the end of the game in Southport Fieldhouse en route to that state title absolutely dominating performer in Katie Gerald's in high school basketball. The IHSAA Girls Basketball State Finals presented by the Indiana Fever and Indiana Pacers are this weekend at Cambridge Fieldhouse. On the Fever's home court, new champions in all four classes will be crowned. Communities from all around the state will dress in their team colors and fill the arena with their high school cheers. You'll get goosebumps if you're there in attendance. It's been 51 years since the introduction of Title IX, which has a heritage as rich as Indiana history. His, and, and the game of basketball itself. From trailblazers like Pat Roy to Mildred Ball to Indiana's first Miss Basketball, Judy Warren to Olympian Jackie Young, buy a ticket to this weekend's games and watch the next generation of female leaders and stars today. High school sports deserve your support. When you buy a ticket, you directly support the athletic department department at your high school and life lessons as well and high school sports teach you're supporting and using a fewer former sports don't miss it nothing compares to attending the ihsa basketball state finals in person Kevin and Query on this hump day. Look out because get your umbrella. I think it's going to rain a little bit later today. We've got rain coming in right now uh, in White Town, Whitestown, apparently, from what we've heard. So we've got that going on. JMV leaving. Whitestown taking a, taking a is leave. the north one, and Whiteland is the south one, right? Yeah, something. And then there's a White County, right? I think that's where the wind farms are, right? Is it? Yeah. Is that the 20-mile stretch? Uh, 28 miles. 28 miles. I actually, you know, I've, I've, I've done this, right? I yeah, you've timed it out. Yeah. From the time that you first see, there is nothing to me. When you drive to Chicago, uh-huh. the worst part of the drive to me is the wind farms. I think the worst part is now that I know how long it is. Now I like because I count you feel it out. like you're going nowhere. You're like stuck yeah. in quicksand. You're like, oh my gosh, like this. Like I'm driving Friday to Lawrence, Kansas, right? Mm-hmm. 495 miles. Well, it's actually 525 miles, right? So you go, the drive from here to St. Louis is brutal because nothing changes. Once you get to St. Louis, Missouri's not so bad. And then you get to the, you cross into Kansas City, and then it's, I mean, Lawrence is basically right there, so it's not so bad. 
But Missouri is, you know, it's kind of hilly and it's pretty and the scenery changes a little bit. But when you're driving and you you go along and you get stuck in like that vat of of nothing is changing, it's like you're on a treadmill going nowhere. And that's what those wind farms feel like. See, again, I, I feel like I, I always was bothered by him because it felt like it took a while. But now that you've timed it out and told me how long it is, every time I see him, I'm like, I got 28 miles of this now. <laughs> I know. And have you ever done it at night? Yes, oh, many it's times. Like, it's like I thought I was going to get. I thought it was like close encounters of the third kind. Exactly they, right. Boom, the exactly red lights. Right. Like I'm getting sucked up into an alien spacecraft. Totally bizarre. Yeah. Totally bizarre. Uh, watching Indiana last night. It was just one of those games, Mark, and you, I know that it ended up being a 15-point game. Realistically, you know, Michigan State at halftime, you had Tom Izzo say at half, like, look, this is that, – that's like the worst 12 minutes we've ever played, I think was his quote. Um, and Indiana really wasn't able to capitalize on that and really build on it. And obviously they let Michigan State come back in. But then it just kind of felt like Michigan State does what I think Indiana struggles with at times, and that is their perimeter ball movement can be really quick. And it feels a little bit frantic. I thought watching Michigan State's guard play, it was it was really impressive actually how they were under control, but they make you feel like you're out of control and trying to guard it. And Indiana just looked a step slow last night. I mean, I don't know if it's – it almost – it feels like Indiana's going to have a week off to end the year. And it really feels like Mike Woodson should – and I realize they're college students, so you probably can't do this. But um, just get like a hotel on Walnut and just have every – like lock everybody in there for a week and just be like, just sleep. We're not even going to practice. Just sleep. Do you think it had anything to do with – Purdue being next on the schedule, knowing they're going into that hostile environment. Yeah, that's – you know, I think a little of it might have had to do with this. I, a couple of things come into play here, Mark. If you look at Indiana's schedule, I mean, they, they – you know, look, what were they playing? Their third game in six days, right? Yeah. And and going to Chicago, coming back home, then going back to East Lansing. But I also think a, a part of that – and, and – this is not an excuse for Indiana, but rather maybe an attempted explanation, I guess. But that would be – I said earlier, and I'm, I'm going to go over this again because I've got to, maybe to try to clarify what I meant. When you grow up in Indianapolis or Fort Wayne or whatever, and when you go to IU, there are kids from all over the state of Indiana. For the, I mean, obviously other places, but, but in Indiana, you know, you meet kids from Evansville and Fort Wayne and whatever else. And I think a lot of them, you're like, so what's your major? Well, you know, I'm not sure what I want to do, or I'm, you know, I'm a, like I was an English major, right? Not a, not a, I mean, I knew exactly what I wanted to do, but, but you run into a lot of kids. They're like, I don't know. I'm probably going to go to like the school of public environmental affairs, maybe try to get into the business school. Okay. And so I think there are a lot of kids that go to Indiana because when you when you go to Fort Wayne Snyder or you go to North Central, or you go to Carmel or you go to Ron Colley, you know, is it, are you going to college? Yeah, where are you going to go? I don't know. I'll probably just go to IU. Okay. Whereas a Purdue or Wabash or DePaul, like I think those schools 
are for there are people because they are I'm not saying they're better academic institutions, but they're very specified areas of yeah. study. So oftentimes kids that go to Purdue are going there for a because they definitively know they want to be an engineer or their uncle went to Purdue, you know, there's a connection. There's a specific reason they went there, whereas Indiana is just more of the like, I don't know, it's 13th grade. And Michigan State, to me, feels like that school in the state of Michigan. Like just the the equivalency for kids on the IU campus, I think they feel like their equivalency in the state of Michigan is Michigan State. Not Michigan. University of Michigan, I think, is an elite you know, academic school with people from all over the world that go to school there, all over the country. And Michigan State, Indiana fans, I think, feel like, from a socioeconomic standpoint, is their their peer. Their their level ground. Correct. And so I think it really resonated with people what took place at Michigan State last week. I think people felt kind of a kinship to that and could put themselves – it was relatable to people. And I'm not saying this is what happened necessarily with their basketball team, but it had to be challenging. And I give Indiana a lot of credit, and Mike Woodson a lot of credit, for understanding the magnitude of the emotion for the Michigan State fan base and players of what Indiana was a part of last night at the beginning of that game and what that game symbolically meant for the Michigan State family. And... The reality is, from a human nature standpoint, that had to come into play just in terms of the tepid nature in which you would try to approach that game because I don't know that anybody knew exactly how to react. Yeah, they got a game to play, and I get it. They're college kids. But I think the combination of being respectful of that moment and also playing three games in six days, it just took some step out of Indiana, and they never recovered. Once Michigan State got going and took the lead, it was over. Oh, yeah. Like I said, at the end of the first half when they hit that three-pointer, I was kind of like, I feel like the momentum has, shift, has shifted. And I don't know if the, I was going to be able to get that back because it seemed like Michigan State, whatever whatever lull or, or you know hush over the crowd there was to start the game, that was they were back in full force by the end of the first half. And at that point, I mean, it seemed like like, like Mike Woodson, staff, and crew were on their, their heels the whole rest of the game. And it was going to be a tough place to play in the first place, not only because of the emotion, but then when you see that Michigan State has the lead going in the halftime, I mean, it was going to be a hard, high mountain for the IU Hoosiers to climb. If you look at the season that Trace Jackson Davis has had, which is one of the more – Trace Jackson Davis, the race for national player of the year a month ago seemed over. And I do think it, it. there are other players that are going to be involved. But, I mean, it goes back to somebody asked a month ago or something I mentioned on the air that somebody asked me this question of, you know, when was the last time that the best two players in college basketball were at Indiana and Purdue? Probably Glenn Robinson and Calvert Chaney 30 years ago, yeah. right? Mm-hmm. But Jackson Davis has really closed that gap in terms of the National Player of the Year conversation. I still think Zach Eady probably gets it, the Wooden Award, but – Trace Jackson Davis is having a phenomenal statistical season. Now, I saw last night some people critiquing that they feel like now he's starting to, and you do see this with players. I don't think it's the case with Trace Jackson Davis. But 
the narrative that perhaps he is now starting to play towards his draft stock as opposed to for his team. I don't personally think that's the case, but I can understand why people think that. I think what you see, though, is that like his minutes are catching up to him. And, yeah, he's a he's a young man. I mean, there's – you know, what is he, 21, 22 years old? I, you know, I, I, it's not like he's 35. But still, if you look at his minutes log, I mean, he's averaging 34 minutes a game. And he has for the majority of his career. But if you look at his last – I'm looking right here at his last five games. 35 minutes, 37 minutes, 39 minutes, 40 minutes, 39 minutes. I mean, they're getting no opportunity for him to rest. And, it, Mark, it looked like it last night. It did. Yeah. I mean, I don't care how old you are. If you're playing that many minutes per game, running up and down the court, exerting yourself, I mean, you're going to be tired after a while. And, yeah, I mean, I'm not I'm not surprised at all that he's getting a little winded after a while. Plus, they're in these close games, so that's the other problem, is they're not in any blowout victories where they can bench him. They're kind of like, yeah, we, they're in well, these close the games, thing. so they have to keep playing him. And, and I don't know last night if it wouldn't have been you're still within striking distance i get it but when there's 8 minutes to go in the game and michigan state you, you whittled it down to i think it was they got it down to 5 and then michigan state goes on an 8 nothing run it's back up to 13 when you at, at that point once it's back up i think there was like 7 and a half or 8 minutes left and the lead is back up to double digits I know that you can't send a message to your team that you're punting at that point. But would it have behooved them to just go ahead and say, you know what? We're going to let guys get get rest minutes here. And, and we need to see what we have in other players. Yeah, that's what I would have thought. Let let TJD get some rest and let everybody else kind of take the load off of him for once and let him rest his legs a little bit. Where I'm concerned for Indiana, and it's not – well, I would say it's not a talking point for right now, except for that I'm on a radio show and I'm about to talk about it, which makes it a talking point, I guess. But I think the elephant in the room for Indiana fans that they don't want to hear about, look at, you look at Kentucky. Like somebody last night was saying, is Indiana still a blue blood? Well, Kentucky is not having a great year. I get it. But Kansas North Carolina's not having a great year. Nope. But those teams always it se- seemingly are a year away because they just reload. In Indiana's case, it is very possible. Let's look at last night's box score, for example, okay? If you look at the box score from last night against Michigan State for Indiana, Trace Jackson Davis already said not coming back next year. Yep. Okay, Race Thompson, not going to be there next nope. year. Jalen Hood Shafino, probably not going to be there next year. Then after that, you know, Miller Cop, not going to be there next year. Then after that, what do you have? Trey Galloway played 32 minutes last night. I think he's a good player and can do – he does a lot of things well. I don't know that he does anything exceptionally, but he's a good player. But he's going to become a focal point for them next year. And then how much does that change not only his game but his contribution when he is a focal point? After that, Malik Renew, I mean, I know that the potential is there, but he's going to have to take a major step. Same with Tamar Bates. 
I mean, Geronimo can't yeah. even get double-digit minutes anymore, and he was a guy that, and I know he's been banged up. I get it. Tamar Bates, yeah, to your point. Tamar Bates had he's got a 17 point game in his arsenal, and then outside of that, he plays 13 minutes last night. He takes one shot, and this is a guy that when he signed, people are doing backflips and smoking cigars online, and he's going to be the greatest thing ever. I, my my point being, there's a transition coming. What's the silver lining next year? Yeah, yeah. What will expectations be heading into next season? I, I mean, a rebuild year, right? I feel like even this year they're kind of hitting above expectations. Yeah, and now next I year I feel like it's going to be a completely, I mean, a complete unknown. But Mark, I do think that Indiana, there, there are two kinds of basketball teams. There are teams that I call situational, which is if the situation is right in terms of the matchups and and the way the things are laid out for them, that they can be really good and make a run. And then there are other teams that are. It doesn't matter. Kansas this year, it doesn't matter. Alabama, it, probably a bad example because of their off-court stuff. But you know, Houston, it doesn't matter who they're mm-hmm. playing. They're they're gonna they're gonna play the way they want to play, and you've got to try to to hold on and, and hope it's an off night. In Indiana's case, situationally, they are, I think, a certainly a second weekend tournament team, and maybe beyond. But once you get into, like, week three, it's probably situational. If they go up against a team that guards really well on the perimeter and shoots well from the outside, like Michigan State did last night, then they could be in trouble. Mm -hmm. But they also have the ability this year to be – I mean, they are a Final Four contender depending on situation. But when you have Trace Jackson Davis, you are always going to be in contention. But he has to be more fleet of foot than he was last night, and that probably comes – with pumping the brakes a little bit. yeah, and, that, and that's crazy to say about a guy that age. I get it. Yeah, but I mean, like you said, he's logged a ton of minutes in his career at IU, and now they're going to have another – it's going to be another big game on Saturday against Purdue. It's probably going to be another close game in Purdue. So if, if that's the case, he's going to be logging another big bunch of minutes, and then you've got the last two games going up. Maybe that's where you find your, your rest for him. Maybe you've, you've you know seemingly locked in a tournament spot. You kind of say, hey, maybe take this one off or give him you – know, an abbreviated amount of minutes on those prior last two to, games. Prior to their matchup in Assembly Hall, when Indiana and Purdue were going up against each other, I said that I thought my prediction was Indiana by five tonight and then Purdue by 15 at Mackey. Mm-hmm. Now, I have the receipt on this. You do. And they won by five, Indiana. And I, I think the advantage Purdue has now, and maybe it's a disadvantage. I think Purdue might get off to a slow start at Mackey just because they've had a week off, but they're going to be fresher. Yeah. And one would think that's to an advantage, right? You would think so. We'll have to see what happens, but we've got that. More coming up with IU. We'll talk some Purdue as well. We also got some IU women that we're going to talk about. Terry Morin, the head coach of the IU women's basketball team, the outright Big Ten champ. She's going to join us at the top of the hour in about 10 minutes. It's Kevin and Query on 93.5 and 107.5 The Fan. So, Mark, with Kevin being out today and tomorrow and Friday, obviously you are more than capable of sliding into one of these two seats. So if 
if I was going to take a day off, uh huh. I want you to tell me which of these cities you would most recommend. Let me give you a couple of options, and then I'll tell you why I'm asking. Okay. Okay. If you were me, the following cities, and this would be for like a fly-in in the morning, fly-back-the-next-day type scenario, if not driving. Uh-huh. Montreal, which I've been to before. Okay. Hershey, Pennsylvania. Have you been to Hershey, Pennsylvania? I've Sam, been to Pennsylvania. Been to Hershey, I don't think I've been to have a Pennsylvania expert in the studio today. Yeah, I've been to Hershey. And Hershey is, that's in eastern Pennsylvania, right? Uh, yeah, I mean, if you cut Pennsylvania? Pennsylvania in half, but it's mostly central. So would you fly, if you were going to go to Hershey, Pennsylvania, would you fly into, what, Harrisburg, Philly? probably. You, okay. you can fly into Harrisburg out of Indy, but yeah, Philly would be the most notable airport. Okay. So Hershey is in play. Boston, Chicago, Wrigley Field, by the way. I know why you're asking. I Nashville, Tennessee, Charlotte, Lexington, Kentucky, St. Louis, Knoxville, Tennessee. Mm, and we're pretty much out of options at that point. Can I venture to guess why this is being you, asked? You may guess. Is this because yeah. I sent what I sent you last night? The uh, Guns N' Roses tour? That is correct. That's what I thought. Now, here's the thing. I've seen them in Chicago. I would love to go to that Wrigley Field show. Yeah, I, I was supposed to go with Evan Altman a couple of years ago, and then something happened. I couldn't go. I can't remember what happened at the last minute. But I saw them at Soldier Field. So I've seen them in Chicago. I've seen them in Toronto. That's one of the options. As a matter of fact, my birthday, they're in Toronto. But I think I'm at an IndyCar race that weekend. A lot of these are like Wednesday evening. Yeah, the Wrigley Field one's a Thursday night. Yeah. The that- only – the Hershey, Pennsylvania, I think – is one of them that was a weekend. Lexington, like I could do Lexington, but I'd get back here at like 3 in the morning. No, you won't because you'd be partying with Slash and everything. <laughs> you know what I did do, and I'm so proud of this. I saw them in Louisville, uh, I don't know, four years ago. I am so proud of this. I had forgotten. I bought Guns N' Roses tickets for Louisville, but I'd forgotten that I had not. I, I had signed up to run the Indy Monumental Half Marathon. Uh-huh forgetting that I had bought Guns N' Roses tickets the night before. So I'm like, you know what? I'm just going to go to the concert and then see how I feel. I got back from Louisville at 2.30 in the morning and said, I'm going to set my alarm for 7 and just see how I feel. And I woke up at 7 and was like on four and a half hours sleep after going to Guns N' Roses the night before and was like, I'm just going to see what happens. And I went down and I'm like, I probably won't do this whole run. And Beth Bowles, Doug Bowles' wife, was at the start line with me. And I'm like, oh, hey, what's going on? I was by myself. And I'm like, yeah, I got like four and a half hours sleep, but I'm going to see how I feel. And for whatever day, for I was like Forrest Gump, man. I just felt like running. And I, I just, we started running and I got to mile four, mile five, mile six. And before I know it, I'm like, I was so proud of myself. I did a half marathon the day after seeing Guns N' Roses. Look at you go. Maybe that's the secret sauce right there. <laughs> that's how we get you. Maybe that's what we need to do to get you going every day, seven to ten. I yeah. Blast well, Guns and Roses. I play and, Appetite for Destruction every morning on the way in. Believe you me, right? Yep. I believe you. I'm just telling I'd you. love to go see that concert, though. Uh, Terry Morin, the women's basketball coach at Indiana, the number two ranked team in the land, joins us next.
Nine o'clock hour in Indianapolis. Technically, it's the nine o'clock hour everywhere in the Eastern Time Zone. Uh, my name is Jake Query. Mark Dykton here as well. Kevin Bowen on vacation. Sam Fritz capably flying the ship for us. And joining us now on the Payless Liquors Hotline and probably the best story in sports here so far in this basketball season locally, and that is the fever that, uh, not the fever of the WNBA team, but the fever that is rising about Indiana women's basketball. Ranked number two in the country now and coming off of a sellout game at Assembly Hall. The Big Ten champions all alone, as a matter of fact, and their head coach, Terry Morin, joins us on the program. Coach, first off, congratulations on what is a dream season so far and still work left to do, I realize. Well, good morning. Um, Yes, a lot of work to be done uh, still, but... um, you know, it's been an incredible run with um, incredible people. So I'm um, really proud of what we've been able to accomplish. But, um, you know, we still have our sights set on other things. Well, I want to begin with this, and I, I certainly realize that, right? I mean, you're 26-1. and one. Everything has, has, has gone well, clearly. But I want you to put into, for our listeners, Coach, kind of your mindset of, you know, you've coached your Indiana through and through. I mean, you're from Seymour. You coached at UIndy. You've coached at Indiana State. You, 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 you know, you Purdue. I mean, every school literally you've touched. But to stand there on the sidelines, and at some point, did you have the moment of epiphany of looking up into the balconies of Assembly Hall and seeing them filled, and think to yourself, "We have done it." Yeah, you know, I think um, as I've gotten older, I've learned to appreciate, you know, more of those moments. Uh, You know, I think when you're young and you're always chasing the next win, you forget, you know, to really pause for for a couple seconds and just sort of look around because you're always thinking about what's next. But, um, you know, as I mentioned, as I've gotten older, I've I've tried to be more mindful of those moments where I can look around and see what we've created here and see the buzz about Indiana women's basketball. But more importantly, just see the the joy on the players, you know, their, the faces of our players and our staff uh, and our support staff, you know, because, again, winning is hard. And, um, you know, it takes, a, it takes a lot. And um, the work, absolutely. But the chemistry, all of it has to, you know, work together. And, um, and so, absolutely, I did uh, pause for a, for a quick second and just, um, you know, sort of um, bask in the – you know, the, the glow of, of what was, was happening around me. Terry Warren, head coach of IU Women's Basketball on Payless Liquors Hotline. On Kevin and Query this morning. Coach, as a Greyhound alum, I was there when you were coaching you, Indy. It was great to call a couple of your games and interview you a couple times and then see the success you've had throughout your career. What was your initial reaction last night when you found out your team was named outright Big Ten champs? Well, I watched it. Uh, you know, I think we all did. Um wasn't quite sure that that would be the out. Uh, I thought it would be way, a little bit closer of a game. Um, but, um, you know, the one thing about Iowa is even, you know, at halftime uh, when Maryland had built such a, a big lead, it was like, you know, when you have players like Caitlin Clark and Monica Susano and they have pieces that can, can fill it up from the outside, uh, there's no safe uh, lead. And uh, it probably wasn't until – by the four-minute media mark, you know, on the fourth, that um, you know, it, it uh, I realized that uh, we were going to win this thing outright, uh, and you know, I'm biased, but uh, that's how it should be. You know, you have 
women on your roster that have had phenomenal seasons, a phenomenal season, I should say. You know, Mackenzie Holmes is having a great year, obviously, right? You, you've had multiple players in different games, Grace Berger, that step up and have great performances. But I wanted to ask you about this. Sidney Parrish was, you know, a number one recruit, goes out to Oregon, comes back and transfers to Indiana, and one might think statistically isn't necessarily a focal point, but has been an integral part and has bought into what it is that you're doing. Does that say more about her in terms of her adapting to the role that you have for her or her teammates for being able to allow her to adapt to that and mix in so well with this group? That's a great question. Um, I I think both. I also think that, um, you know, you always have to pay tribute to the parents, you know, of Sydney Parrish. You know, she has to have the right people around her in her circle that are always, you know, I think giving her, um, you know, wise advice, you know, on what it's like to come into an already established program the way she did. You know, our culture has been what it's been, you know, since we've built this thing. And um, you're you're right. You know, she's walking into a, uh, a team that already has All-American caliber players and Grace Berger and Mackenzie Holmes. Um, but I, I'll say this. The thing that Sid was terrific at was really just kind of finding her way. You know, she didn't try to step on toes. She didn't try to push her voice. And that's the thing about Sid. Sid has a big personality. Sid is has a very high IQ. Um, but she did pick and choose, right, when she was, uh, you know, uh, she in terms of using her voice at the right moments. Um, and I think our, our players, uh, you know, were, I wouldn't say surprised, but, um, you know, they've been um, – you know, very grateful the way she has approached, uh, you know, this team and being a part of it. Um, you know, and she has been a terrific teammate, um, you know, to, to all of them. And she has no doubt uh, uh, been a big part of, uh, you know, why we've been able to have our success because, you know, it, it takes everybody. It takes you know, people uh, just not accepting their role but starring in their role. And, um, you know, Sid has been one of those kids for us for sure. You know, this is the anniversary today, 43 years ago, of the Miracle on Ice. I'm assuming, Coach, that you've seen the movie Miracle. Maybe that's an unfair assumption. but No, no, I have. Okay, so so in that movie, there's the famous scene where Herb Brooks is making them (laughs) skate after practice, and finally Michael Ruzioni just steps up and says, you know, I play for the United States of America. And Herb Brooks is like, okay, like my job is done here, right? I've gotten through to them. Was there a moment with this group that that happened? Was there an epiphanal moment where you said to yourself, we're going to be pretty good? Oh, wow. Um, You know, I I just – I will say this. uh, This has been a mature – a very mature group. uh, And – you know, I think they've given us all uh, a lot of confidence when I say all, uh, the staff, you know, going into each game uh, because of the maturity level. I don't know that there's been the one game. You know, what I will say uh, is that we lost our leader, Grace Berger, you know, for a, for a period of time, uh, you know, uh, when she went down with a knee injury. And, um, you know, we lost one game while Grace was not with us. And then once we got Grace back, I think we felt like, you know, we started – you know, we were winning games, but the margin that we were winning them by was, you know, su- substantially more. Um, and and so, you know, I I think we 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 feel that this is a group. Uh, the sky's the limit, you know, for this for these guys. Uh, I think they feel it. I think we all feel it uh, when we step on the floor. Um, 
But, um, you know, they have uh, they've been committed to one another and they have this 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 belief um, that I and I because I, when I listen to them talk about one another, especially in media, uh, there's no question they have the chemistry and they have the belief in one another, um, you know, to, um, you know, to take this thing deep into March. Coach, going off of that, who's a player on your team that doesn't get the, the recognition nationally that is a key piece to your team? That's easy for me, guys. Uh, Chloe Moore McNeil, you know, she is an elite defender for us. She always has to, uh, you know, she takes on the the, uh, the 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 job of guarding the opposing team's best perimeter player, um, and she's she's been phenomenal. When Grace Berger went out, we had to slide her over to the uh, point guard position for us, so she had to run our team. And it's not easy to be the point guard on the Indiana women's basketball because we do run a lot of stuff. Um, and um, she was she just you know, without blinking, uh, just moved right over and took over, uh, you know, our, our basketball team for the period that Grace was out. And, um, you know, she's just been, you know, somebody that, um, you know, I think our local media and especially our fans, I think they recognize as being such an integral part of our success, but, um, you know, she certainly goes under the radar. She's a, she's a great story. She's the kid that um, didn't play as a freshman very much, got a, got spot minutes as a sophomore, but, sat over there on the sideline and was patient and kept coming in and doing the work, just kept getting a little bit better, a little bit better to her junior year work. She, you know, she's a starter for us now. Um, you know, day and age where kids don't get their way, they leave. Uh, Chloe wasn't that kid. She understood the process. She understood the, the commitment that it was going to take. She has a great uh, father uh, that wasn't going to allow her to give in and um, just kept kept pushing her. Um, knowing that, um, you know, the big picture was that she was sooner or later going to be a big part of what we're doing. And, uh, you know, sure sure enough, uh, we're not where we're at without Chloe. Okay, I, I'm going to ask a question to you, Coach, that I'm hoping you'll answer, and I totally understand from a coaching standpoint you're going to hate me for asking, but I'm going to ask it, okay? Somebody asked me this the other day, and I thought that is a fabulous question. If you were to win the national title, does the banner go with the famous five banners in Assembly Hall, or does it go independently because it's the women's team and it's separate from the men's team? Well, that's a great question, but that's that's completely above my pay grade. I would have no idea. <laughs> it, answer the answer that. is wherever they want to put it, right? I mean, <laughs> like if you want to hang, I'd hang it from the scoreboard right in the middle of the floor, right? right? They can hang it wherever they would like, but I know this. Uh, you know, Scott uh, Dolson has been terrific uh, to me and our program and our staff, and huge supporter of us. And so I would, I, I know this. It will will be appropriate uh, wherever they decide to hang it. So, um, but uh, you know, we would, we would, we would love nothing more than uh, for that to be a, a topic uh, in their in their meeting. Good okay. problem to have. I That's say. right. It is a good problem That's to right. have. Are, are there right. bad matchups for you guys? I mean, is there a team that you look at and you think to yourself when you're looking over things and you say, boy, somebody that can do X can give me fits? Or are you pretty comfortable that you guys can cover any base? Well, you know, I think you're always – I mean, you look at what happened last night. You know, Maryland is uh, in, in, in Iowa. I mean, you know, Iowa scores so easily. And uh, last night, you know, they had a really difficult time scoring the ball. Um, and so I, I, you know, I don't know, I'm sure they're, you know, on nights where, and we all have them, it's, it's not a, it's an imperfect game. So, um, you know, you just hope that, um, you know, you, you, um, 
your your defense can sustain you, and even if it's going to be a low-scoring game, you can score enough points to get to the finish line. But, um, you know, that's the only concern that you have. I think we're pretty sound defensively. Uh, I have a great staff, and we prepare well, and our kids um, are very, very serious when it comes to game planning and, and how we're going to beat teams. Um, and so they, they, they typically can execute on that side of the ball pretty well. Uh, but, um, you know, we need the ball to, to go in the hoop also to put points on the board. So, you know, those are two things that have to happen. But, uh, you know, we've been able to do that. Uh, we've we've had to win ugly at times, and um, we've also won, you know, pretty. But, um, you know, it's it's just all part of the game, and you just, you just hope that, um, like I said, you can score enough points. Uh, but I will say this, you know, we are – we are very strong when it comes defensively, um, and I'm not saying superior. I just think that we um, we make people work, and um, and if we can continue to do that, then uh, we're, we'll position ourselves, um, you know, in a in a really good way. I think as the brand of Indiana women's basketball has grown here, um, which is a huge kudos. I mean, it's like I said, number two in the country. Obviously, um, you're selling out Assembly Hall as the profile ha- has risen. From a recruiting standpoint, Coach, is there is it a challenge to make sure that you are staying true to the formula and the player that has worked for you? And not, in other words, to recruit to what it is that you need as opposed to, hey, now all of a sudden we're just going to take the five best players that want to come to Indiana and being true to the kind of roster that you have. Does that make sense, what I'm asking? Absolutely, and it's a great question. And the answer to that is without without hesitation. Uh, you know, we will never sacrifice what what we're about. Um, you know, we're to the point now where we feel like we can we can recruit players that fit us. We don't have to fit them. And um, you know, we we have built this thing on um, our hard work, our our sort of blue collar mentality, uh, character always above talent. Um, and um, we want to coach good kids. We, you know, we don't have, um, uh, you know, the drama. We don't have our kids on social trying to get, uh, you know, likes and platforms and all that stuff. I mean, we, we uh, do the same thing every day. We're pretty vanilla. You know, we come in and, and uh, we're going to have every one of those guys are going to be in before practice or stay after practice and get extra reps in. Um, that We've built great habits in terms of work habits. Um, we found the unselfish kid. If, if you're going to come to Indiana, you're going to have to be about we and not me. Um, and you can quickly figure that out by the questions they ask in the recruiting process when they're sitting in your office uh, and the parents and their questions. Um, and trust me, guys, when I tell you, we have, we have, even though this is, you know, the year we're having, you know, we've had success in the past, Um but, uh, you know, um, we, and we've also done this. We've had to tell kids no uh, because they just don't fit uh, Indiana and they don't fit our staff. Uh, and that's the most important thing to me. I want to coach players that I can walk in every day and know that um, they're going to give me their best, but they're also going to be good kids, high character. They're going to do the right things on and off the floor. They're going to be serious about their academics. Um, as long as they have that work ethic, there's no doubt that, um, you know, our group can, the player development piece is something that we're very passionate about. Our kids, you just got to look at the statistics. Our kids get better year in and year out. Now, if you grow up in Seymour, does that mean that by the time you're like 16, you've, you've heard Mellencamp enough for a lifetime? I mean, that would be the case, right? No, I mean, no, not at all. You know, he came <laughs> to Bloomington. Well, I'll say this, he came to Bloomington, what, two weeks ago? Yeah, he's there a lot, right? Uh, 
Well, he is, but he actually played, you know, over at the um, auditorium. Right. He, had, he played on a Sunday night. We were at Purdue, so I would say I was able to go to the show on Monday night, and it was unbelievable. Hey, can you believe this? I was, I've I never was seen him. Well, I, I've well, never I, seen him I in concert. Can you that. believe that? I know, and I'm born and raised here. That's like I literally I should have my Hoosier card revoked. Wow. You I should um, – I will say this. I was uh, curious – to uh, what he would play. I was worried that he was going to play a lot of his new stuff. Not that his new stuff's I, not unbelievable. No, I, I know. But, um, he surprised me and played a lot of almost, I don't know if it just uh, happened or um, it, he ha- he played every one of my favorites. Okay, and what's your favorite Mellencamp sort of. song? Well, I have a lot of them. So Small Towns, you know, certainly Jack and Diane, Paper and Fire, Cherry Bomb. Um, okay. Uh, underrated? Yeah, check it out. Check it out. Check it out is underrated. Yes, paper and fire is also so. Um, when we do Hoosier hysteria here at the beginning of the school, you know, the beginning of the year to to uh, kick off basketball season, I always come out. You know, all of our kids get to come out to their own song, uh, and so uh, for for nine years I've come out to a Mellencamp song, and um, I've come out to check it out at least two or three times because it's my probably ranks up there as my favorite. Uh, but last year I came out to Rumble Seat, or no, uh, Paper and Fire, which I love as well. How about Authority Song? Uh, Authority Song's another good one. They're all good, but if you listen to him, he will tell you, well, he won't say this, but he'll, you know, because I've, I, I've watched his interviews before, and he's like, you know, that new stuff that, you know, would, that he wrote, he just is like shakes his head like it was trashy. And I'm like, <laughs> oh, my God, like there was nothing trashy about, you know, any of those those earlier songs that he's, he'd ever you know, written. So, uh, but yeah, no, I love, I got to meet him, uh, afterwards. So it was a big treat for me, uh, to see him. And, uh, he was, he was phenomenal. I mean, at 70, what years old plus maybe a couple, um, he, he was unbelievable. So you have to, he's right now he's on tour. So if you can find a, a place where you can go see him, I'm telling you, you I will see, not be disappointed. I'm kind of a guns and roses groupie too. I've seen them like 12 times and, and, they just announced a new tour, and I'm trying to figure that out. So I got to mix Mellencamp into the. I, it's embarrassing that I've never seen him. It's embarrassing. It is, but. and this would be a great, great, great opportunity for you to go see him because it's one of those concerts where you stand up with the oldies, but then you sit down with the new ones because you know it's kind of it's like it's a mixture of the two. It's not like I don't know. That it's like going to be like a Guns and Roses concert where you're standing on your feet for two and a half hours. Well, but, um, people stand up next to me and they claim that they're standing with the oldies. That's the problem now, right? I mean that's. I mean, trust me, you know, that's how it goes. Coach, last one last one for me, uh, the last game of the season uh, is until Sunday when you take on Iowa. You beat them earlier this month. How do you keep the team focused after a week between games and not looking ahead to the Big Ten tournament? Oh, I'm, again, I have to go back to the leadership that we have. Um, you know, Grace Berger is one of the all-time most competitive players uh, that I will ever have the opportunity to coach. And, um and so this group is is uh, you know I we we took Monday off yesterday we we practice and um, you know this is a great week for us to sort of catch our breath because we played three games in seven days and um, but um, you know they want to finish the job and finishing the job means all the way to the end um, and um, and Sunday will be the end of the big you know our our conference season and then a new season starts for us and so we break up at you know in, in seasons preseason in season. Uh, postseason, the Big Ten tournament, and then it'll be NCAA season. So, um, you know, they this is a, a team that um, you know tries to check off all the boxes, and they got one more box to check, and that's beating beating Iowa on Sunday. 
Well, Coach, I've got friends. You know, I went to IU. I've got friends who are whose kids now are at IU, and their kids have loved going to the women's basketball games. They've they've taken to it. They love it. They're excited by it. And I think there are a lot of people pulling for you guys. So we certainly appreciate the time this morning. I know it's busy, and um, enjoy going and listening to Bellingham too when you can. <laughs> Thanks. You need to get to a concert. All okay? right, I'll do it. We'll get there. I appreciate it, Coach. Thanks, Coach. All right. Thanks, for guys. Thank you. Again, Terry Morin, the women's basketball coach at Indiana University. Um, your favorite Mellencamp song, Mark? Uh, Pink Houses, yeah, I guess. It's pretty good. Yeah, it's pretty good. I mean, it's, I, I'm old enough to remember when MTV had a contest and gave away a pink house yeah. in Bloomington. Yeah. I don't know whatever came, became of it. I have no idea if that pink they, house they gave away is still there. They sell to Jack and Diane. What's that? They sell to Jack and Diane. <laughs> it did. They, it, it was near the Tasty Freeze, actually. Oh, there you go. Yeah. I remember when Jack and, Jack and Diane, when that song came out, in the summer of 82, uh, like we were at Lake Wawasee, I remember with my sisters and my cousins. And like, that's literally somebody had a tape of Jack and Diane and played it nonstop. When that song came out, you couldn't go anywhere in the state of Indiana without hearing Jack. Usually uh, Sunday at Lucas Oil Stadium, you can't go anywhere without hearing it. <laughs> that's right. Actually, they did it. When did they start doing that at Colts? I Games? don't know. Probably when the stadium first opened. So it's been a good decade. Well, you know, some of the music there is. They like to do them year in and year out. Uh, time for a morning check down, by the way. <laughs> and Chirp Chirp will begin with Ball State. 82-70 winners over Kent State last night at Worthen Arena in Muncie. Jalen Sellers with 20 as the cards now. 20-8 and eight for Michael Lewis's group there, 11-4 and four in MAC play, and within a game now of Kent State, who falls to 12-3. and three. They are 22-6 and six overall. So don't look now, Mark, but chirp, chirp, Ball State might be putting themselves in position to get an NCAA tournament. Day. Cardinals are coming. Cool. Cardinals might pull some upsets. We'll have to see. Elsewhere, uh, Michigan State topped Indiana 80-65. to 65. Tyson Walker was just dropping everything from beyond the arc. 23 points for him. A.J. Hoggard, 22 points for him. The uh, Hoosiers look ahead to the Purdue Boilermakers on Saturday in West Lafayette. Not a great performance from them, but there was obviously a lot of emotion going on in that arena last night. Uh, taking a look at college basketball games tonight, it is Bradley in Valparaiso. Just a guy named Bradley. They, oh. I don't know if you know that or not. They just Bradley Cooper? Up. Yeah, they, exactly. He's going he's gonna to wear an Eagles jersey and take on Valparaiso. Indiana State at Belmont tonight. It's Illinois-Chicago at Evansville. Butler in Chicago to take on DePaul. That game tips at 8.30. And then North Carolina and Notre Dame and a battle of two teams wondering what the hell's happened. That game starts at 9 o'clock tonight nba pacers in action tomorrow night taking on the boston celtics then it's on the road they are in orlando saturday for a long road trip former uh, pacers head coach nate mcmillan by the way uh fired by the atlanta hawks that's that was kind of a surprising surprising move they're in the yeah. playoff hunt uh, and again mark monteith is a big fan of nate mcmillan and has said you know with the proper like assistance around him and whatever else it, it could have lasted here. I, I thought he did a good job here. He's a very good defensive mind, but, but Trey young also, I think is a difficult guy to coach, to be honest with you. I, wonderful talent, but just seemingly Scott Agnes. I remember saying when we had him on that, that there are certain things about young that would be challenging for Trey young. But um, so Nate McMillan out in Atlanta, Quinn Snyder uh, going to be the interim. Quinn Snyder was at Missouri when I covered Missouri. Oh yeah. And um, I remember Quinn Snyder 
it was a, it was in the Mike Davis era at Indiana, right when Davis got that job. And I remember asking Quinn Snyder, like, so would you have had interest in the Indiana job? And he's like, well, yeah, probably more so than here. And I'm like, what do you mean? Like Missouri's, I mean, he, you know, he had a good run at Missouri. He's I like, talk to you. He said, it, it, people here just don't understand what it takes to win. Okay. All right, then. He was cool, though, man. Was that on the record? No, this was off the record. He, Well, I guess it's on now. Uh, he was super cool, though, because being – you don't realize what basketball in the state of Indiana, how that resonates to other people until you go elsewhere. And just, for example, Quinn Snyder, who had played at Duke, was coaching at Missouri, and I thought was a super cool guy. Um, he, he kind of – how to, like he would talk to me more because I was from Indiana. He mm-hmm. just automatically assumed that that meant that I knew more about basketball. I don't know that I did versus the St. Louis media, but he, he just kind of gravitated towards the fact once he found out I was from Indiana, he's like, oh, man, you, you get the game. You understand basketball just because it's such a part of life here versus in, you, you know, St. Louis where baseball is, is probably, the, you know. There's a couple of pretty fun questions on this one. Yeah. You think someone's going five for five? Well, we shall see. It just depends on how courteous I, and kind I feel with my hints. Well, if I know you, it would probably be very generous. Yeah, Multiple I, hints, maybe three hints on a four-option question. We'll see. I'd like to help out the folks with Jiffy Lube, too, though, because they've already given away one oil change. What was it, Monday that we, yeah. we had a five uh-huh. fiver? So During your President's Day pop quiz. That's right. It was impressive. I thought my my president's day, Scotty. Did, I don't think we've had a chance to ask Scotty, who is the author of the pop quizzes, um, and and was kind enough when I sent him a thing saying I want to do a presidential one, and he said, "Okay, you can have a day." Did you think the questions I came up with were okay, Scotty? He's going to say he didn't hear. <laughs> he basically said no. He said you you sucked at it. <laughs> Scotty's like, actually, I didn't listen because I didn't write them, Jake, so I didn't care. He said he would have gone five for five okay. quite easily. Okay, well. Put a bag over your head and hit you with a sock full of nickels. He did name the only two presidents to serve as president of the United States but never at any point in their political career run for the office on a major ticket. How about that one? There you go. That, do you, that do is, you know the answer? I don't know. Hey, smarty pants over there, Scotty. Do you know the answer to that? Two men can say on their deathbed, I was the president of the United States, but at no point before or after did I run for the office. Who are the two? Incorrect. Taft wasn't running anywhere. <laughs> so I'd, get, I'd go with him. That's a very good point. Uh, Gerald Ford is not correct because he ran for re-election. You give up? Yeah, I have no idea. John Tyler. Okay. Who, by the way, John Tyler not only fits this criteria, but John Tyler also is the only president that upon his passing did not have his death recognized as a federal standpoint, from a federal standpoint, because he died during the Civil War and was actually on the Board of Regents for the Confederacy. So Abraham Lincoln said that he lived outside the country by his own uh, desire, and so therefore the federal government of the United States did not recognize his passing. (laughs) So John Tyler would be one, and yes, John Tyler has a living grandson. And the other, uh, Andrew Johnson, who took over for Abraham Lincoln, but then uh, I believe it was the Whig Party nominated, I believe, Henry Clay. I can't remember which party they were part of, my apology. But, um, but yeah, either way, So, but he did not get nominated by his own party once his term was up. Gotcha. Interesting. Yeah, there you go. Okay, uh, give me a number one through six, Mark. Uh, let's go three. 
three is Will. What's up, Will? What's up, guys? Good morning. What's up, man? Do we need to wake you up after my presidential soliloquy? <laughs> like it was an AP history. That's again. right. Uh, Will, you sound like a nice fellow. Have you called the program before? I have. I've talked. I talked to Dan a few years ago. That's about it. Well, that wasn't this program. Have you? So you've not called this show, right? Not this show, correct? Okay. Uh, and, and Will, are you driving currently? Yes. Uh, we prefer your hands in the ten and two position, please, for safety purposes. Uh, what sort of work do you do, Will? I run around the city delivering heat and air parts. That, I'll tell you what. What's? Let me ask you this. What part of the city has the worst traffic? Oh, definitely the south side of 465 in the AM, and then anywhere you come up towards like that 69 Fishers area, uh, it's brutal. Get yeah, about 430, it's brutal. Now, Will, uh, when you were did you grow up in Indianapolis? I did. Yeah. Uh, which side of town did you grow up? Uh, north side, northwest. Okay, so did you go to Pike? I did, and then later on to Carmel. Okay, that's cool. Uh, all right, Will, would you like for me, that would be Jake, or would you like for Mark to lead you off with question number one? Uh, let's go with Mark. He doesn't get to do it so often. Thank you. Thank you, Will. I appreciate I that. You, Will's a nice fellow. He's very nice. Yeah. All right, Will, question number one for you. Michigan State beat 17th-ranked IU last night in East Lansing. It was the 37th time that a Tom Izzo-coached Michigan State team has won as an unranked team over an AP Top 25 opponent. That is the third most in Big Ten history. Name the two Big Ten coaches ahead of Izzo, each with 40. Stay in the state of Indiana. Mike Green and Sad, the Butler coach. Go, think a little more... Famous. Like are, you think Indiana are, basketball, big, you think of these coaches. two names. Name the Big Ten coaches. Okay, okay. Uh, Bob Knight and Matt Painter. Okay. Question number two. The NBA season resumes tomorrow night. Which team enters the second half, quote-unquote, because obviously post-All-Star break? Who has the worst record in the league? Is it the Pistons, Spurs, Rockets, or Hornets? They've had problems getting off the launch pad. <laughs> I was going to say the Rockets. Okay. Name the former Pacers head coach who's currently a head coach in the NBA. Is it A, Frank Vogel, B, Mike Brown, C, Nate McMillan, or D, there are none? I caught the end of the Nate McMillan conversation, but I don't know if that was him losing his job. Uh, I'll say D, no one. Or, it's a yeah, solid D, guess. One. That's good. Yeah, that's good. Um, by the way, when you get stuck in traffic up there around Fishers doing a delivery, it's still going to get delivered, and you're going to be able to avoid the traffic. Do you know exactly why that is? Repeat that again? Sorry. When you get stuck there in traffic, like around the Fishers area doing one of your deliveries, uh, uh -huh. most people just sit there in traffic, but you actually end up navigating an alternate route every single time. Do you know why that is? No, why? Uh, because uh, when there's a will, there's another way. Anyway. Oh, boy. All right, uh, question number four. Name the National Hockey League team that just tied a league record by getting its 90th point of the season in just 56 games played. It also is the epicenter of the ABC television show A Million Little Things. Is it the Carolina Hurricanes, the Boston Bruins, the New Jersey Devils, or the Vegas Golden Knights? 
Let's go with the, the Golden Knights. Okay. All right, this one. Happy 291st birthday to George Washington. I feel like that's a bit of a stretch to be celebrating that many birthdays, if you ask me. <laughs> it's a lot uh, of candles. Jeez. <laughs> what did Tom Seaver, Sparky Anderson, and Ken Griffey Jr. all have in common with the father of our country? This is a very obscure question. <laughs> so what did, what did Ken Griffey have have in common what, with George what, Washington. What does Tom Seaver, Sparky Anderson, and Ken Griffey Jr. all have in common with George Washington, who turns a spry 291 today? I will tell you, actor Clooney and boxer Foreman also have this in common. They share the same birthday? Very close. It's not a bad guess. That, no multiple bad. choice for that one, Scotty? I mean, that's, that's random. Uh, actor Clooney, boxer Foreman... Former President Bush. Um, of the jungle. 1980 Heisman Trophy winning running back Rodgers. All have this in common with George Washington, as well as Tom Seaver, Sparky Anderson, and Ken Griffey Jr. The same middle name. What's that? The same middle name? It's within the ballpark. I think that's acceptable. Uh, here are the answers, Will, today, and we certainly hope that you drive safely. Bob Knight, and you went with Matt Painter. It is close. It was the mentor for Matt Painter. Gene Cady was for number one. The Rockets was correct. There are none for question three was correct. The Boston Bruins for question number four. And for question number five, all of those men have the actual first name of George. Will, we appreciate it. Drive Thanks, carefully. Will. We look forward to talking to you again. Uh, when we come back, did you say, you know, Mackenzie Holmes, a place for Indiana. We were talking to Terry Moore, and you know where she's from? Where? Maine. Well, there you go. That's fitting for what we're going to do in the next segment. I'm going to wrap it up. Matthew from Maine, since a care package again, supposed to split it between you, me, and Kevin, and JMV. Well, JMV's here, so. He's here. He's probably he's probably doing it right now in his office. Probably asleep. <laughs> he could be. <laughs> I would be. He's, no, hell, he's got to get ready for his interview at 10. since 745. He's got to get ready for his interview at 10. Okay. Uh, we'll do it on the other side here. It's Kevin Aquari. Kevin and Query on a Wednesday. Jake berating, berating you to play this song after the break. Um, well. I said, play Ballad Camp! No, I said, can you play Check It Out when we come back? And he goes, uh, who, who does that song? No, he didn't say play Melon Camp. I said, I'm sorry, I said play Check It Out. And he said, who does that song? I See, I immediately thought of Steve Brule, which that's going to go way over your head, but that's who I immediately thought of when you said I, Check It Out. Except for that we just talked about it for nine I know, minutes. well, you did, yeah. Yeah, you're a huge, huge Cougar fan. I'm not, you know what, I've never been a huge, here's the thing. I, I tend to agree with Scotty. In 1982-83, like Mellencamp, a little Mellencamp went a long way for a while there. When I was in high school, the two big concerts that everybody went to in the summertime, everyone went to Mellencamp and everyone went to Steve Miller Band. For whatever reason, I I don't know if I was just always out of town. I mean, I went to IU. It's fairly hard to believe that I never would have been to a Mellencamp show because he is ubiquitous among the culture in Bloomington. But I for whatever reason, have never been to a Mellencamp show. And I, my understanding is, like Springsteen, as Coach Terry Moran was saying, he puts on an unbelievable show. I have not seen him yet. 
I'll take your word for it. We'll see it. You know, he's touring apparently, so I guess if we want tickets, I can go get them. But well, there are given the option, I'll go to Guns N' Roses first. I think I told you there are some performers that they do, and I don't know if Mellencamp's in this category. A couple of years ago, I went to go see Bob Dylan, and I was super excited to see Bob Dylan because my what like a bucket list item in life for me, the greatest song ever recorded, is "Like a Rolling Stone" by Bob Dylan. And I'm like, I just want to see Bob Dylan sing that. I just want to see it live. And and we went to go see him at Ball State. And it's it great was, to be here in Muncie. <laughs> he wasn't even that audible. <laughs> that was the problem. But it was like a, I, I don't know how to word this. It was less a concert and more like an auditorium show, like a theater show. So when we got there, it was... I don't know, five minutes after it started and you had to wait until the end of a song for them to open the doors and you went in and sat down and it was in an auditorium and literally everyone sat and then at the end of each song they they clapped uh-huh. and then he went into the next song and, you know, so it was more like a dinner show or something. Like Billy Idol is coming to Clues Hall and I don't know if it's Billy Idol doing, you know, White Wedding and Rebel Yell or is it Billy Idol doing like like dinner song, you know what I mean? Like like slow <laughs> dinner song. Well, he has. I don't know if you know. Wide wedding. Well, but he does. Billy yeah. Idol does a show. Is a dinner show. He has an acoustic show, oh. like a like a like you sit down and I don't know how to word what I'm what I'm getting at, but acoustic is the best way to say it. Mm-hmm. So it's a, a a a slower version, and I don't know which of the two he's going because I don't want to go and see Billy Idol singing you, you, like a lounge like yeah. a lounge show. Yeah. You know? Uh, While you're okay. cutting up some ham and meat or That's whatever. That's right. So what do we have here so, from Maine? So Matthew from Maine sent us a care package, which he does time from time. Thank you very much. And he's like, oh, it's down at the lobby. So I picked it up. It's this giant box. It has 12 <laughs> cans of this Moxie soda in it. Okay. He said, split it between you, Jake, Kevin, and JMV. Now, this looks, it, the can is orange. So is it an orange soda? It says distinctly different. Yes, which I would say that would describe Jake. Query quite distinctively different as well. Moxie quite well. Too. I mean, uh, yeah. So he sent that, and then he sent this Needham's chocolate. I've okay. never heard of it that before. It lo- looks like a small graham cracker of cho- with chocolate. But he all he keeps telling me is watch out, like this and that. So I don't know if this Needham's has like ham in the middle of it, or if this Moxie's crazy. But we're supposed to taste test it, so we'll do this well, that. I'll let you go. You're gonna. Oh yeah, first. this is like gonna be the Vegemite situation all over again. So this is Moxie soda. I'm gonna start with the soda first okay. before the chocolate because I feel like if you do chocolate first and then the soda, it'll be that's it'll be a, not that's good. A good. Point. Okay. Well, it smells. Marcus smells, smells interesting. Is it orange soda? I don't know. Oh, it's got a ginger kick to it. It's, it smells like. He has taken a sip. Mark has. Yeah, it's like ginger. He seems apparently there's an aftertaste. I don't. You seem underimpressed. All right, it's here, fine. Here we go. We're on. By the way, I feel like I thought I was gonna like convulse or something after taking it. That's, that's not bad. It could be my lack of sense of smell, it's interesting. but I actually am enjoying the Moxie soda a lot. Yeah, it's not bad. It tastes like a root beer. It's from the Coca Cola company, so it I think is. they I think they know what they're well, doing. How different could it be? I don't know. I, I would say it does have a. It, it's a. It's a root beerish cola. Yeah, I'd say so. Kind of a mix of the two. No, I was preparing for this to be really bad. Yeah, yeah, I I wasn't sure when the taste testing was supposed to begin, so during the break I kind of was already Well, you just go ahead and make your own rules, bud. All right, here we go. Uh, I'm trying the chocolate. Yeah, okay. This is the Needham's chocolate. Now, this looks, does it not? Now, Sam, have you already tried this too? I will not spoil it, but yes. (laughs) 
Is there any surprise that we're waiting on here? I was certainly surprised, but it's a, it's a surprise that you should expect if you've had so candy caramel before. In the middle. I'm not going to tell there's you until you've had or a, it. Or a caramel in the middle. No, it's neither of those. Coconut. I'm a huge coconut fan. I'm not, but this is actually pretty good, too. The dark chocolate kind of helps mask the coconut for me. That's actually pretty solid. It's a mounds. Yeah, it's a square mounds. I was expecting a lot worse. Matthew was setting this up like we were going to be like throwing up or something. This is actually a pretty solid combo right here. That moxie, you know what that is, is distinctively different. Yeah. It's a Jake Query drink of choice. Have you been to Maine? Yes. Saw the lighthouses and all that stuff. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Sam, you've been to Maine? Uh, For about 10 minutes, yes. That's about my... That's Rhode Island. (laughs) (laughs) No, believe it or not, went into Maine, turned back around. (laughs) I, I had a buddy that lived in Greenwich, Connecticut, which is right outside of New York City. And I was 28, and I went out to we went to high school together, and I had to go to New York for something, so I stayed with him. And it was a weekend, and we, we wake up Saturday morning, and he says, well, what do you want to do today? And I said, I want to, my goal is to go to all 50 states, and I so I want to knock out the entire Northeast. So we drove from Greenwich, Connecticut to Maine, then basically got up, we went like two exits north into Maine, did a U-turn, drove back down, went through Vermont and New Hampshire, back down through Massachusetts. I remember we stopped in Springfield, Massachusetts at the Basketball Hall of Fame. And I don't know if I should divulge this or not. Hopefully the statute of limitations has expired on this. Uh, We taped a Reggie Miller poster to the Basketball Hall of Fame sign. And then he hadn't been inducted yet. And then got back in the car and drove back to Connecticut, and I knocked out, like in one day, knocked out the entire loop. And my buddy Mike McAllister, who's now a judge in Columbus, Ohio, his only rule was that he got to sit shotgun and control the music. So I had to listen to really crappy Smashing Pumpkins and Fish crap. The the, the, the Smashing time. Pumpkin slander, I don't understand from you. You like Smashing Pumpkins? I do like Smashing Pumpkins. Sam, you like Smashing Absolutely. Pumpkins? You say they're the most overrated band of the 90s? That that cannot be true. Terrible. I know way. I can every, both like that band and agree with that statement. Every song sounds the same. And he's just a weird Turn on dude. zero and turn on 1979 and tell me that's the same. Well, the only difference is 1,970, well, 1,980 numbers, right? Matthew says the main ingredient in this chocolate is there's potato. Well, it tastes like... Some a- would argue sugar is the main ingredient. <laughs> <laughs> well, you're still eating it. Of good. Did you wash it down with a little bit of your moxie? I will. This is much better than the Vegemite you brought in. Uh, thanks, by the way, to Stephen Holder, who joined us this morning. Again, pretty interesting stuff if you want to go and listen to it um, on the website, 1075thefan.com, and the conversation about, you know, the Colts now looking for, here you thought probably their staff was intact. Now they know that they're going to have to find another coordinator, seemingly, at the special teams position, Bubba Ventrone. Again, I don't know how much of that is the fact that he played in Cleveland, it's familiar in Cleveland, or the fact that he did not have the opportunity to maybe not be the head coach, but Stephen probably was more accurate in saying that perhaps he was a little off-put, for lack of a better phrase, over not getting to be the interim coach. One of those two might be applicable. It is odd, though, that he was at the Shane Steichen introductory press conference with 
you know, Gus Bradley, and then things have apparently well, changed to the point to where they thought they they were going to have him, and now he looks like he's know, jetting off to Cleveland. To be fair, he might not have realized that an opportunity. You know, he may not have. That's true. The overture from Cleveland may not have come yet, and so you know he's probably thinking to himself like, I didn't know that that was going to be a possibility for me. Mm-hmm. Um, but that is a, an important position, I think, special teams coordinators. We talked about earlier, just because you, you kind of have to deal with deal with is the wrong word. But you are coaching with and putting together pieces from multiple areas, you know. And oftentimes, you are the one who is on Wednesday finding out, you know, players 50 plus, I don't mean by age, I mean in roster spot, that you are getting on your unit. Your unit, if you are the special teams coordinator, your personnel has more fluidity than any other coordinator on the roster mm-hmm. for the most part. Yeah. And so, you know, it's a pretty important position. And Bubba Ventrone, apparently, I, you know, I think my reputation um, is one of the better ones in the league. Oh, I think so for sure. It'd be like him, Dave Tobe in Kansas City. And Dave Tobe. Can you, you name another special teams yeah. coordinator? Do you remember when Dave Tobe, like, there was a, a time where I think it was during the Frank Reich cycle here. Yeah, he was. But he was like on everybody's radar. Like, Uh oh, Dave Tobe, Dave Tobe. Yep. Okay. Yeah, because he worked with Hester and the Bears back then. Uh, Thanks also to Terry Morin for joining us earlier. That that was pretty remarkable when you saw Mark. I think there are a lot of people that, I mean, 17,222 people for a women's basketball game in Assembly Hall. And I'm telling you, like, I think the students there, that's a thing now, right? That's a thing on the campus, Mm -hmm. which is cool. Yeah. Yeah, I mean they're twenty six and one. Yeah, they've had a remar- remarkable season, and hopefully they have a very deep run in March. We'll see what they do, but couldn't feel, couldn't be happier for her and the women's squad. Where, where at would IU. you put the banner? I put it wherever the hell they wanted to put it. Does it go? Do you think you put it right along? So that you have you have on one behind one basket, you have the five national championship banners, mm-hmm. and then on the opposite side, you have the other banners: the eighty three Big Ten title banner. You have the the banners that have all the Big Ten years on it, and I think like any women's banners would be there as well. The NIT banner. So does it go on that side, or does it go? I think it goes. If it's with a national, the five, right? Yeah, if it's a national championship, I would assume you're putting it with the I other would think ones so over too. there. Indiana University. Uh, That'd be kind of disrespectful. Women's if they put national that champions, uh, 19, or, you know, 2023, yeah. right? And that's I would what think so. Like I said, it's a good problem to have if that now, comes do, down to it. Do they have to if they if they win a banner this year? Do they have to? take it through the wash several times to get it to the exact level of fade that the other five oh, have. That was a bit of a shot. I'm just saying. <laughs> that was a bit yeah. of a shot. I'm just as saying. we get out of here. For what it's worth, you know what I mean? Uh, what do we have tomorrow, Mark? We have got more. Uh, all of a sudden, I can't hear you all of a sudden. Uh, all, we've got a, uh, we're going to have Mike DiRocco on from the Jaguars who uh, covered the Jaguars and Jim Bob Cooter. So we're getting some Cooter talk okay. tomorrow. What? That's his name. We're going to get some Cooter talk uh, Thursday with Mike DiRocco. Probably get some Pacers talk as they get back in action with Scott Agnes. And we'll play it, from, play it by ear after that. The Pacers are in action with Scott Agnes? Well, Scott Agnes will be in there watching the action of the Pacers. Uh, Pacers taking on Boston. Again, that game is going to be tomorrow, and then it's a big road trip. All right, John, we know, is talking about painters, so you'll be able to hear that on his show sometime this week, if not later today. Have a great day, everybody.